stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone. Prepare yourselves for only the second biggest bottling on this podcast this year. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Shout out to Cam who who added to this coming to you live from Dre's therapy room. <laughs> if the boot fits. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Andre Harrison. Welcome to episode 170. I want to say three. Yes, 173. Yes, I was right first time. Good for me. Episode 173 of Motorsport 101. I'm Andre Harrison as always. Back after a week's hiatus. Apparently, some really talented Formula E chick took my spot last week. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did, you, did you take my keys again? <laughs> no comment. Just, just, just like I suspected. <laughs> Apparently, it went down really well, though. So hey, I guess we'll let him get away with it on this occasion. Yes, not even Discord trouble could help, could uh, could divert us from putting on a really awesome Formula E preview with our friend Hazel Southwell. Which, if you haven't gone and listened to that, you should. Yes, you really. Because. Yes, because. By the time we're listening listening to this, uh, the season is probably already underway. <laughs> Indeed. Um, the nature of Wednesday night tapings for once. You're all welcome, Discord server. Uh, <laughs> hope you guys are enjoying the show, as always. And uh, as a result of King stealing my keys, I'm calling a vote of no confidence. Oh, Ryan, no. <laughs> get, so guys, get guys, th- quick news. I, I swear, uh, if you vote confidence towards me... I promise in three years time I'll no longer be on the show. Wait, 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 wait. That's not a good thing. Shh. <laughs> I just need to win the vote, Trey. <laughs> and of course, joining us on the show this week is RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. I'm sorry. You need to introduce me by my proper title. <laughs> uh, what? Um, that uh, is oh, oh, champion of soccer. That is champion of soccer, RJ O'Connell. Thank you very, very much. I, I just want to thank um, everybody who helped make this possible. The uh, the not batshit insane conservative whack job that runs Home Depot, that actually runs Atlanta United. I want to thank Joseph Martinez for being Venezuela's greatest sporting at sport. I want to thank Miguel Amarone and Darren Eves for not taking any offers under $30 million to get Miguel Amarone sold to some trash fire Premier League side like Newcastle. In all things, these are possible. The South's got something to say. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> Where, where's, where's my thanks, RJ? My team had to lose for you to get there. Oh, yeah, that's right. We had to avenge the curses of 1996 and 1999. <laughs> and the team's getting blown out in Yankee Stadium. Not today, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Y'all, I'm just so excited. They freaking won in their second year. This team is yep. fun. They're awesome. They're setting attendance records every week. It's great. I know the team might start to get dismantled soon. Tata Martino's already leaving to Mexico. Greg Garza's going to some other expansion team. Miguel Amarone might get signed, and Joseph Martinez might not be far behind. But I'm enjoying this while I can. It's awesome. Is he finished yet, King? <laughs> We, we, we're stuck with shitty Manchester United, and for once, the city of Atlanta has something to be happy about sports-wise. 
Uh, and mate, it's, yeah. again, and I didn't bottle this one. It's a miracle. Um, <laughs> but, uh, oh, God. Um, just want to say, to break the fourth wall for just a second, um, yes, for those guys that are well aware and have been asking, don't worry, I am all right, despite a glass bottle being thrown at my head when I closed my bookies last week. Um, <laughs> it takes more than that to put me down, and, again, my boyish good looks were thankfully unaffected. Um, for everyone that sent well wishes, I do sincerely want to say thank you. Um, luckily, I am okay, um, physically and surprisingly mentally. If anything, I can laugh about it these days. It's like... Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't quite know how I got away with that one, but I did. So uh, yeah, all is well, thankfully. So thanks to everyone that's been reaching out and asking. I do really appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just a shame that my current football team, well teams I should say, are all strugglicious. Inter got knocked out by Tottenham in the Champions League last night. Manchester United are currently losing two 0 to Valencia right now in a meaningless game. <laughs> and the New England Patriots lost a game on a two lateral touchdown. It's been a fun weekend. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, basically you can find us real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our handles personally, you can do that at... at uh, I almost forgot our Twitter accounts for a second there. You can tell I'm rusty. I've been gone for a week, haven't you? Um, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Quaddle, and at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. I've got a battle of the hiccups. This is kind of annoying, so bear with me for just a second here. But uh, yeah, $5 gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live. Bike Live took a week off this past week. It is back early next week with the third annual Bike Live Awards, ladies and gentlemen. We are back with, with, with wrapping up and reviewing the best and the worst of motorcycle racing this past calendar year. I'll even give you a sneak peek at the award categories which are coming through as we're recording the show as of now, the time of recording, tomorrow night. So we have the Most Improved Rider of the Year, the Fail of the Year, the Race of the Year, the Battle of the Year, the ride of the year, loser of the year, team of the year, moment of the year, and the overall big one, the Mark Marquez Award for rider of the year. <laughs> uh, apparently, if Marquez wins it one more time, we have to name the trophy after him. That's the rules, apparently. Who would have thought it? So yeah, me and Lewis Sutherby will be back for that um, later. Uh, well, I, should say, I should say really early, probably most likely early next week for that one so yeah things are slowing down a little bit um on the motorsport scene bike life will probably be off for christmas after this one so uh yeah uh one more big fun show to wrap up the year always a fun time where that's concerned don't worry the motorsport 101 awards will be around probably in about a week and a half's time so yeah more on that soon check our social media for all of that fun stuff $10 gets you early access to our Discord server where you can listen to these shows live as they go out. And you can have Cam post 115 pictures of him being angry with shotguns. Well worth the price of admission if you ask me. And you can find all of our stuff on our website, motorsport101.com. Written blogs out the wazoo as well. There'll be a set from me as well in the next couple of weeks, wrapping up and reviewing the season in written form, so you can hear me have sassy quotes about Toro Rosso season. It's fun. Trust me. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's get into the news. 
<laughs> that's, what, that's not what you were expecting there. See what I did there. King, what have you got for us? Ooh, silly season gets super silly. Where do we even start? Uh, on the Formula One side of things, while it looks like Robert Kubica may have taken a seat at Williams, uh, Sergei Sorokin may have found opportunities elsewhere with him participating in uh, the in the DTM tire test. Uh, and it seems like he might be racing full-time in DTM next year. I like it. It's, I mean, it's quick cars. I mean, granted, it's the more antiseptic of the series that will eventually comprise Class 1, mm-hmm. but hey, it's it's still all right. It ain't bad. Yeah, it's not a bad move. I think it'd be, he'd be a great addition to Audi's lineup of drivers. Uh, looking at other silly season moves, the probably the one that caught my eye more than anything else was uh, News and World Rallycross, where Hyundai have announced that they have signed the nine-time World Rally Champion Sebastian Loeb. Dear Jesus Christ, he's back! Wow, chicka wow, wow, chicka wow! King is the world's biggest Hyundai fanboy. He's just gotten the baby oil out and he started to dim the lights. So Marvin, I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a reason to drop my Hyundai now. I could just ride with the champion. <laughs> Somebody, is anyone, and yes, is it, I did accidentally say World Rallycross Championship, meant World Rally Championship. Though the door is open for him to be running an I twenty in the World Rallycross Championship as a privateer next year at some point. Yeah, I think he's only going to miss one rally, and that's Monte Carlo, and that's just because he already has an pre-existing commitment in the Paris to Dakar rally. Yes, and uh, based off of Hyundai's recent performances in the World Rally Championship, he could actually, he might shake out to be a title contender, which is scary. Oh my god, he's going for 10. He's going for 10. This is like if Jordan made his first comeback and decided, I'm not coming back to Chicago. I'm going to Seattle. I'm going to Los Angeles for the Lakers. <laughs> oh, God. And let's see. In terms of other news, in terms of silly season. Um, um, we know who um, we know who Harding, Steinberg, or Racing are going with. They're going with Honda Power. Um, yep. Zitapaldi, Clitapaldi, Pitapaldi will be racing with, uh, with and Indy Lights next year, taking the rare step down after being an Indy car going back to Indy Lights. He'll be with Bellardi next year. Mm. And in uh, Are You For Real Silly Season News, uh, McLaren uh, now own 50% of a UCI World Tour team. If you don't know, the UCI World Tour is effectively the Cycling World Championship Tour. Y'all. Okay. And they also launched a new partnership with OnePlus, slowly <laughs> becoming the best Android phone maker on the planet. Yeah, they're, 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 so, they have an exclusive Hawaii Plus One T in there, which is very nice. I saw Rory Reed unbox one on his Instagram page the other day. I was like, ooh, orange. Oh, that looks dope. So, King, tell me about how McLaren are going to fuck up blood doping. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> One step at a time, RJ. One I am step at a dead. Time. <laughs> so, uh, right now, McLaren will take up 50, uh, 50% stake in 
a current UCI World Cup team, uh, Bahrain Merida Racing. They have that name because, one, uh, it is effectively the factory team for Merida, a Taiwanese bicycle manufacturer, and it was, and the team is currently being funded by the Bahraini, by the Bahraini government, which also owns McLaren. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, the team was founded by uh, Sheikh Nazir bin Hamad al-Khalifa, who is the king of Bahrain's son. He's also the commander of Bahrain's royal guard that is currently deployed in Yemen. Oh, uh, good. And and Sheikh Nazir has uh, had to publicly deny that he's personally tortured anyone. We're off to a good start here, folks. <laughs> But the team, back to the team. <laughs> oh, good. We're just gonna transit. Just gonna leave that one there, eh, King? <laughs> so, so Sheikh Nazar founded the team in 2016 as a way to promote Bahrain worldwide in uh, a sport where it's, I would say, it's not uncommon to see state-funded teams like the iconic state-funded team uh, of the last decade was Team Astana, which is the the team funded by the uh, by the Kazakhstan's government, which famously very nice, ha- which ha- famously was the team that Lance Armstrong made his comeback from retirement on. No, oh god, that one. So, but back to the Bahrain team. They were founded in 2016. Uh, their first full season was 2017. They haven't gotten any major victories yet, but they've gotten a couple victories, including uh, three this year, where they won the Tour of Croatia, uh, Tour Deutschland. Uh, a couple of other minor races, including the Milan-San Remo, which is a big one-day cycling event. It's probably one of the more prestigious races to win. But th- the Tour of Croatia that they won this year, the cycle, the cyclist on their team that won, uh, later that year he was tested, uh, his blood was tested, and it was found that he had uh, a regularly high levels of EPO in his blood. Screen. Oh God. Uh, ah, Evo, the old cyclist friend. He's he's been provisionally suspended until the result of a B sample test, but they uh, they've been pretty slow to to test the B sample. Yeah, it, it's it's it's, it's two thousand and eighteen, and cyclists are still being done for EPO. Seriously, what year is this? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm sure we'll hear all about how McLaren Cycling has the best masking agents in the UCI. Well, this comes at a turbulent time for the world for the World Tour because the World Tour's top team, Dre knows them. I'm pretty sure everyone else has heard of the top team in the World oh, Tour. Oh yeah, at the Team moment. Sky are quitting. Team Sky are quitting. Mm. <laughs> Next mm. year, 2019 will be their last year in competition. Uh, Bar, well, McLaren, Bahrain, Merida are pretty much in a position where they would effectively... They have all the resources to become the new top team in cycling. Right. Grief. Mm-hmm. Whew. That's a lot. Gets yeah, a lot. It's a lot. Uh, actually, let me check. I'm pretty sure Alonzo still has a team, but I'm pretty. they're not in the World Tour, I believe. He has an esports team that's named <laughs> after a team in Ridge Racer, which is dope. <laughs> But yep, uh, good luck to McLaren in their future endeavors. Yeah, th- that seems like a nice tall glass of you have fun with that, McLaren, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
How do you like them apples? But, uh, any, anything else in the news section for us this weekend? Uh, I think we are fine in the, actually, one minor story. Uh, the, the W Series does have an operator now, which is the team that will effectively operate all the cars, be the pit crew for every single car in the field. It is Formula 3 stalwart team, high-tech GP. Ah, okay. Recently campaigned George Russell in Formula 3. Yes. Most recently. Ah, gotcha. I mean, the series is still a questionable proposition, to put it nicely, but at least the cars are well prepared. Yay. Oh, and do we, we, we need to talk about America's sports car championship, IMSA. Oh my goodness. Um, so we mentioned that Alonzo and Kobayashi are going to be in a Cadillac. Uh, Rubens Barrichello is also going to be in a Cadillac. Ooh. Oh, and uh, we might have also mentioned that uh, Akron Team Penske were going to keep the same uh, sits drivers for the season. Juan Pablo Montoya, Elio Castroneves, Ricky Tabor, Dan Cameron, full time. Uh, they are keeping um, they are keeping Simon Pagano for the Enduros, including the Daytona Twenty Four. But Graham Rahal was not part of the team. His le- his knees are just hitting the uh, his knees are hitting the steering wheel. So they brought in an equally taller driver. Um, you might have heard of him. Won in Indianapolis 500 in his rookie year. Might have raced for some F1 team. Oh, could- Alexander Rossi. Oh boy, it's complicated because again. Uh, well, I don't know if we can 100% believe Graham, but Graham said uh, they didn't ask him to leave. He chose to leave. Uh, All right. <laughs> yeah, he made that decision on his own. I like how the solution was just like, okay, I'm standing down because it's six foot one. I'm way too large to fit in this car. I'm going to give my seat to a driver who is exactly one inch shorter than I am. Yeah, it, it, it kind of makes it a bit more harder to, to, to believe. I think Cam gave him the benefit of the doubt in the Discord and said that uh, apparently Rahal's height is all legs. Um, I, I personally thought the ego was suffocated in the cockpit, so, you know, it, it could easily be either or. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're going to lose Graham Rahal, that is a uh, solid replacement, shall we say. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes. Goodness gracious. Ems is going to be fun. The Daytona 24 is going to be fun. It will be. Yeah, it's going to be real, real fun. But you know what is also going to be fun? Oh. Oh, what's that? Oh, the Arctic Lapland will rally. Because it will feature <laughs> Valtteri Botas in an M Sport Ford Fiesta World Rally. Oh, car. I almost <laughs> forgot about this. King's getting the first flight to Finland. <laughs> Somebody get the Bovril out. Valtteri's going rallying, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, he's going to take part in the Lapland Rally. And he's probably going to average about 14 miles an hour as to not to damage his F1 season. What, King White? Uh, I'm not sure, because it is... A, m- most Finnish drivers have participated in this rally before. So, uh, K.K. Rosberg, Mika Hakkinen, Kimi Raikkonen, Heike Kovalainen, they've all driven this rally before. Okay, so 15 miles an hour then, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yep, yeah, it is a thing. It is very much a thing. And good luck to Valtteri. That seems like it's like the two fed up does seem like it's very fun. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. I got to trace back to IMSA because uh, Nissan got a new team. I know Stream Speed Motorsports shut their doors, but in their place, they're getting Core Autosport. And with that, they're getting Romain Duval, two-time Le Mans winner, and 2013 Le Mans winner, Loic Duval for Daytona. Oh, Christ. I mean, oh, goodness. I mean, it's not a bad lineup. <laughs> no, not a bad lineup for the team that almost won the championship as an LMP2 privateer. Yeah, solid, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, very solid. No kidding. That's oh, looking so good. Very, very good indeed. Yeah. I think we got the news all cleared out, folks. Yeah. Oh, there was one minor story that I think will oh. intrigue RJ. Uh, so, recently, the the entry list for the All Japan Formula 3 test came out. Oh, I saw this. <laughs> um... Sasha Fenestraz, uh, Renault Jr. is on there. Uh, Harrison Newey, Adrian Sun is on there. Um, I want to say it's Lucas Auer, who's just yeah, going Lucas to Auer. Gerhard's Gerhard's <laughs> nephew, and also new, potential new Honda Formula Junior project. Uh, Honda Formula Dream project driver. Mm-hmm. Lucas is going eastward. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people are heading east. And also, they're going to be sticking with the old-style Formula 3 cars, yes. not the uh, the newer ones. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be running the Delara F312. And the reason why is because uh, All Japan F3 has an open-engine uh, open engine supplier, and uh, the regional F3 championships like Euro Formula Masters or what have you, they do not. Sounds fun. Sounds fun indeed. Okay. I don't think we can put this off much longer, folks. We called it the end game for a reason. Let's sit down, pour yourself your favorite non-alcoholic beverage, and deep dive into what was the 2018 Formula 1 season. We're going to review it right after this musical interlude. Oh god, I thought it was just an Avengers reference. Oh god, that too. I saw the trailer and the epiphany came to me. I was like, I'm naming the episode this. I don't care what anyone says to me. I am pulling head of the podcast rank on this one. That is the rules. Lewis, you can keep that in. Get ready for the vote, Drake. Bring it on, bitch. Bring it on. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here it is, the 2018 Formula 1 season review. And uh, for those guys that are new to the show, or newer to the show, um, also I love that the Discord goes to me, non-alcoholic beverage, and the fuck in question marks. You people don't know me very well, although to be fair, given the way this season played out as a Ferrari fan, I may need some absinthe. I'm just throwing... I'm just... (laughs) You just you just start you should just start slow. Just, but just hold on, hold on. We can't we can't start near the top without starting near the Indeed. bottom and then getting Indeed. there. So 
just for those guys that are newer to the show and some, um, and whatnot, some, uh, just to cover it from the ground up, we go in reverse championship order. So we're going to obviously start with Williams, then Toro Rosso, and then eventually work our way up to our silver-related overlords. Um, so we're going to go team by team. We'll talk a little bit about them each team by team. Bring out some key stats, which RJ conjured up for us. Thanks, RJ. Good job, son. Um, and uh, as well as that, we'll have some fun. We'll, there'll be some tangents, most likely. And then at the end, we'll, event we'll inevitably review the team and drivers by giving them a score out of 10. Because who doesn't love ratings around here? If it works for IGN, it works for us. Okay. Strap yourselves in, folks. We've got to get through the shit first. And, uh, wait... RJ, why does it say Williams is down here? Golly, what hasn't been said about Williams Martini Racing's 2018 campaign that hasn't already been said about the Tenerife Airport disaster? <laughs> <laughs> what is up with you this week? Like, what, is, what has gotten into you the last two weeks, RJ? You've been, you've been let off the leash. Like, Jesus. <laughs> I think this is me getting jaded at my day job. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You're just taking the bit of the sound and everything. It's 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 the holiday season in the service industry. <laughs> I, I assure you, this is not performative scrooging. Holidays are awesome. <laughs> Whatever you say, RJ. So, right, Williams, uh, Williams, Williams, Williams. Where do we start here? Tenth on the constructors, bottom of the list, seven points scored. Um, in the end, Lance Stroll was 18th in the championship with six points. His best finish was eighth in Baku. Sergei Sorokin, his teammate as a rookie, just the one point. He sadly was bottom of the drivers' championship. His best finish was, and his solitary point was a 10th place finish at Monza after a certain Haas was disqualified. More on that later. Um, if you want to break down the head-to-heads, because um, we, we, yeah, we like fun stuff like that. Uh, Sorokin finished 12-8 ahead of Stroll in qualifying, but Stroll took the head-to-head on races. They both finished 10-7. Fun facts. Yes. Go on, Andre, go on. And then uh, Stroll spent 598 laps ahead of Sorokin compared to 448. These uh, stats are all in races where both... Both drivers finished, or both drivers set a representative time in qualifying. I do just want to mm -hmm. state that uh, right up for the outset. Oh, boy. Williams. Oh, my God. I it, remember it, when you were so good. That was that was four years ago. That, re that, was years ago. that really wasn't that long ago, people. Like... They were the they it's, were the surprise of 2014, given how well they started out of the blocks. And it's just gone to shit. I mean... I, I, that's the thing. I'm writing my written version for the website that's going to go up in the next couple of days or so. And in it, there is a what Dre said last year section. And <laughs> and last year I said, where is this team going? <laughs> like, with the Martini deal, they have to go senior. Is Kibitza worth the risk as a bridge for someone else? Whoa, 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 Martini deal. Dre, they had it such a hard year that they're going to wish they had that Martini deal. They're going to have no alcohol to tide them over the winter. Or no energy drinks. <laughs> and no energy drinks either to pick them back up because someone else fleeced them for it. They're off to a fine start. It says, the cases for all of Massa's potential replacements are also uninspiring. That seems to be the biggest issue with Williams. And... I predicted it was going to get worse for them compared to where they were last year when I think they were fifth overall in the championship. 
Yeah. Got worse. Got it worse. was way worse than I anticipated. <laughs> I, I, I honestly didn't think it would be that bad. Oh. I think Pat said in our season preview that, you know, this was going to be bad. I had no idea they wouldn't even crack double digits. Shh, don't tell Pat he was right yeah. about something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I honestly, I think at the start of the year, I had a gut feeling that Sabra was going to be last and Martini was going to be second bottom. Yeah, me too. I, 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 I thought that either Toro Rosso or Sabra would be at the bottom, given Honda teething problems. But uh, no, we actually, we, if anything, I think we all underestimated just how big a drop Williams was due for. And uh, yeah, they're in trouble. They are in serious trouble. And... I could easily hammer home deja vu regarding some of their problems, i.e., you know, where's the direction of the team going? George Russell, I mean, that's a blessing. They've got, they're going to have an A-plus prospect in their car next year with Robert Kubica alongside them, which sounds great and all. Um, but if the car's no good, then what's the point? And... Yeah, I think, I think it really feels like, in a way, George Russell is insurance for the team because mm. they just all you have to do is look over at Total Wolf and it's like if we go down your boy goes down too it's oh goodness yeah, I mean that's a hell of a bargaining chip for, for the Williams team to have in their back pocket saying yeah well you know look, look what happened to Pascal basically and and, and, <laughs> and Esteban um <laughs> the way this is going so yeah there's a, there's a lot here but I mean this team was woeful there is no getting around it. Only once out of 42 cars over the season did Williams make a Q3. Only three times did their cars get in the points. Um, it's it, it was ugly. Both Stroll and Sorokin had the lowest average starting position and qualifying table. Um, like Lance so Stroll's average good slot was 17. 17.3. Sorokin's was 16.9. It was ugly. It's yeah. ugly. I mean... Again, Sorokin and Stroll combined were eliminated in Q1 of qualifying 31 out of 42 times. There is a minor silver line in this in that they gain more places than any other driver, which always helps if you're always starting at the back. Yeah, Lance Stroll gained 36 places on the opening laps of 2018, more than anybody else in the field. So Stroll is an excellent starter, and if anything, it proved that, you know, he does have good racecraft. Um, it's... It's it's going to be. Oh, we'll get to the drivers a little bit more in a second. I mean, it's going to be hard to score them fairly because again, how how good can you really be when we know the car is an anchor, um, essentially? But uh, it's going to be interesting next year, King, to see how Stroll gets along in pink because that that is a big test. Force India are the you know perennial top tier midfield team in top independent. And Checo is alongside him, a guy with 160 Grand Prix of experience under his belt now. Yeah, I think in terms of drivers getting uh, performance upgrade, Lance's upgrade is probably the largest out of any driver. Maybe you can make a case for mm. Pierre Gasly. But, yeah, in terms of being last to being in a, in a place where you could be best of the rest, mm-hmm. uh, it's... It's going to be a whole different world. His races are going to be completely different. They're going to be much more scrutinized. I will say this, that, you know, there has been a lot of criticism around Lance Stroll. Some of it unfair. Some of it is fair. 
If Lance Stroll does not seize the initiative and start performing when he gets to Racing Point or Force India or Team Team Face or whatever they're going to be called in 2019, he will never shake off that criticism. He has to perform. Um, He does have solid racecraft, and he scored six out of Williams' seven points. He's an excellent starter. But there is also that school thought that maybe he should have been a whole heck of a lot better than rookie Sergey Sorotkin was. There was also that other, other school of thought that, hey, Sergey Sorotkin wasn't all that bad. Yeah, and I want to talk about Sorotkin for a minute here, because, like, I I low-key quite like Sorotkin's season. I mean, again, he won the qualifying head dead, which is a nice feather in the cap. We forget he's a rookie. We forget mm. that a lot of people were negative about him on the way in. People were a lot more pro-Kibitzer, I think, a year ago than they were now. Um... And he got better as the year went on, I think for sure. He was I think the one lap speed was genuinely very good. Um and it's a shame he's on the way out because by all accounts and from reports in the paddock, he was a great guy, a very hard worker, well liked in the garage, he was spoiling his pit crew with gold chains and gifts. He seems like a like the perfect guy to have in an office. <laughs> Bless him. Um, and he's out the door for Robert, which is a bit of a shame because I think Sorokin was was solid, uh, about as solid as you could expect a rookie yeah. in the worst in the worst team in the field. Yeah, uh, like I think Sorokin had a lot of baggage on him for when his F one career, quote unquote, started five years ago. Yeah. Believe it or not, yeah, believe yeah. This go, I have to go back to when Sauber was going to be the Nets teenage prospect at a Sauber team that desperately needed money. They were really just going to call him up because he had a lot of it and because they were interested in getting a race uh-huh. it immediately. We forget that was four yeah. years ago. Back at the time where Williams were contending for wins and scoring regular podiums. Yeah, like just to follow his career in like four years ago i definitely say he was not ready for f1 but if you watched him perform in, in gp2 or yeah pretty much his two seasons in gp2 he proved that he was capable of being a you know an f1 capable driver and if you put williams in a bubble and put him compared to stroll who again is a uh, is a very good prospect um Sorokin did very, very well, and I think he endeared himself to the team. And wherever he ends up, whether it's in DTM or whether that's in IMSA or whether that's in WEC or what have you, Sorokin will find a place where he can ultimately go back to winning races as the talents deserve. At least that's I'd the like hope. to say that. Yeah. So, ratings for the teams and the drivers. I've got, I've got my scores in front of me. Would, would you like me to go first here? Uh, yes, go ahead. Um... I had the team at a three. I mean, it's 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 hard to score. It's hard to score a much higher than that. They went from fifth to tenth, the biggest fallers of any team in the field. Um, they really struggled all year long. It looks like they're going to be set to continue to struggle for, for go, going forward. Um, there's not a lot to be excited about with this team, but besides George Russell, and even then, when he's in a car that's going to be batting around the fifteen mark most of the next season. It's hard. It's hard to get excited. I gave both drivers a six. I think they cancelled each other out in that sense. I think Stroll had a solid second year. The, he's going to have a much bigger test next year. I gave Sorokin a six as well for winning the qualifying battle and just 
overall being a solid rookie more than anything else. Again, for a, for a rookie effort, I don't think he could have realistically asked for much more than Sorokin in the context of how his season played out. I like all of those scores. I would also give Williams a three, Stroll a six, Sorokin a six. I think Stroll could have been better this year, and especially in terms of his one-lap pace, and I think he could have gotten more out of his racecraft, especially as he is, you know, a driver that ro- rocketed up the junior formula ranks. Um, and again, he's still just a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, next year is going to be the big test. Um, should I point out that this is the worst that Williams have ever finished in the World Constructors Championship, excluding the 1983 season? Uh, Williams had Ford engines up until the last race of the season, and then there were two Williams entries, one for Williams Ford, who finished fourth, and one for Williams Honda, who finished 11th with only one race to their ledger. As you do. (laughs) That is the basement that Williams ended up in in 2018. A basement with a team that technically only ran one race. But yeah, I, I agree with both you guys. I'm going to give both the drivers a six. Admittedly, um, the team itself, I was originally going to give them a one. Wow. I'm oh. going to I'm going to lean that up to a two because taking into perspective the stuff in terms of personnel, where they lost their chief designer Ed Wood, head of aerodynamics Dirk De Beer. They also lost Rob Smedley. Uh, their martini deal is expiring. Their SMP deal is no longer in effect because of the sanctions. They don't have a team. They don't have a foundation to improve in the future. Besides that, everything looks everything looks optimistic, <laughs> right? Oh, it doesn't look good. It does I not would, look I good. would hope this is not the end of a death spiral like the one that took out Tyrrell. Lotus the first, a lot of other notable constructors that came before them. I would love for them to get better next year with Russell and with Kubica. I just don't know if that's going to happen. It sucks. It does suck. Let's get into something slightly happier. Slightly? (laughs) I'm not sure this is much better, to be honest, folks, but hey, we'll try it. Uh, We are looking about a five-fold increase in Constructors' Championship points. That's a plus. Yeah, it's Scuderia Toro Rosso Honda, ladies and gentlemen. They were ninth in the... The artist formerly known as Minotti. As Gisgarja would always remind us of. Um, they were not in the constructors this year. They scored 33 points. Pierre Gasly had 29 of those. He was 15th in the Drivers' Championship. His best finish was 4th in uh, Bahrain, because now he can fight. Um, Brendan Hartley, his teammate, scored the other 4 points. He sadly was 2nd from the bottom in the Constructors, in in Drivers, I should say, in 19th place. His best finish was a 9th place at the Circuit of the Americas. Head-to-heads, Gasly was 11-6 up in qualifying. He was 8-4 up in race finishes. Race laps, 6.07 to 2.23 in favor of Gasly. Some, a couple of bonus stats involved as well from on behalf of RJ. That this is Toro Rosso's worst constructors result since 2012. Their lowest points tally since 2014. And there was a driver of the day vote. Um, Gasly did win driver of the day for that Bahraini performance. 
where do you start here? I mean, I, again, I kind of anticipated this would happen a little bit because this was always going to have a, a new team, big, you know, power unit supplier. There were, I think there was always going to be some teething problems going um, going in with Honda and a brand new package. Uh, this always felt like a bit of a guinea pig run for what, you know, the big boys wanted to do with Red Bull. And it kind of felt like a guinea pig season for Toro Rosso, really, didn't it? Yeah, they, they've they openly stated, like, I believe at around the midpoint of the season, that they were willing to take as many penalties uh, that was necessary to be effectively a rolling laboratory for next year's Honda Power Unit. Yikes. I mean, combined between the, the drivers, if you list their retirements by cause... Gasly had three mechanical retirements. Hartley had two. That's not that bad, considering we've always made fun of Honda as being, you know, the fragile glass cannons of Formula One engine suppliers. Yeah, they've not been like. But in the grand scheme of things, this wasn't terrible. But the performance certainly wasn't there, and it's it's hard to score a team highly when they openly admit they were being basically lab rats and but i mean there are there are points in the season where they were just being experimental for experiment's sake that time that they sent a car out in full wets during the german Grand Prix. oh, oh my god Jesus. and out of all of that pierre gasly still bagged the top 10 finish somehow that's the thing somehow he was able to pull that shit off i Oh, no, no, the, I had that mixed up. It was yes. Hartley that got the 10th. Gasly did not end up dropping 14th, but Gasly recovered the following race with a 6th place finish. And Pierre Gasly was on it, man. He was yeah. on it. He started, he qualified 6th in Bahrain and finished 4th and won that driver of the day. Now he can fight. Now he can indeed fight. I mean, Pierre Gasly was excellent at those sort of heavy tire management races like we got in Bahrain, for instance, when... They finished fourth, and that was with a Honda power unit on a power track. Gasly drove that car beyond its reasonable limit. Hungry was another good example of that, where he finished in sixth um, and was best of the rest that day. He, he like at, when when the car was dialed in, Pierre Gasly was phenomenal. Um, it's just a shame the car probably wasn't dialed in as many times. I mean, also uh, I want to get into because I mentioned this in last year's review as well. The team seemingly has management problems and I think this year was another example of that, especially if you want to look in the corner of how Brendan Hartley was treated. Oh, boy. Yeah. I think it's largely to, to, down to the situation where Tarasso effectively has two yeah. team bosses. They have Helmut Marco and they have Franz Tost. And personally, I kind of get the feeling like someone's pulling more of the strings than the other it, it ain't Franz Tost. Indeed. I mean, we know that Brendan Hartley was basically being used as collateral from as early as Canada, which was like round six, round seven, I should say. So by the time we were a further away through the season, like Toro had already made it public knowledge. They were trying to flip Hartley for Lando Norris, basically. And, you know, they were, they were trying to get James Key out um, and going the other way to McLaren, potentially. That got ugly. And the name that kept coming up was Brendan Hartley's about you know his future, his seat, 
Hartley himself claims he stopped getting back in from the team as early as that ironic race in Bahrain where Gasly finished fourth fourth overall, um, their best result of the year. Apparently, Brendan said that as early on as then, he felt like he was being isolated in the team and that he wasn't getting the same back in that Gasly did. Um, and by the time we got to the end of the year, there was confusing drama about press releases, body damage on Gasly's car, potentially a cover-up from the Toro Rosso team itself, and Gasly himself ignoring team orders in Brazil, um, when Hartley stood an outside chance of points on a two-stop strategy. Um, it got ugly towards the end of the year. By the time we got, I think we got to the end of the year, King, I think it was kind of clear that Gasly and Hartley were not getting along. Yeah, like, it seemed obvious... Uh, I don't know. It's It seemed like we reached a point where... They could have kept Hartley, where where Ricardo had announced his move to Renault, Gasly was moving up to the senior team, and they were bringing back Daniel Kvyat to fill in that seat. And it seemed like, okay, there's there's no one left to, to take Hartley's seat. But out of nowhere, they're like, Alexander Albon? Sure. Yeah. The, uh, the driver who was discarded from Red Bull, because Brendan Hartley was a Red Bull Jr. at one point, brought back to Toro Rosso to replace Danny Kvyat, who was, who was a Red Bull Jr., was dropped by Red Bull. Brendan Hartley gets dropped in favor of Alexander Albon, who was dropped by Red Bull and then brought back by Red Bull, to partner Danny Kvyat, who was dropped by Red Bull and then brought back to Red Bull. That totally makes sense. Uh... <laughs> It, it's peak. This was a vintage Minardi year. It really was. It, it felt like it. It felt like one giant experiment with drivers, with teams, with power units, with suppliers. You name it. It, it probably got changed or at least thought about being changed at some point. So, Y'all, I remember when the peak drama at Toro Rosso was that time that Gasly almost ramped over Hartley at Baku that time. Oof. Jesus, that felt like so long ago. It did, didn't it? Jeez. That was like the second most dangerous gas situation guys has been given that Magnus almost put him in the wall that Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> that was uh, all sorts of scary. Um, so, what do you want to do ratings-wise here, fellas? Oh, goodness. Um, I would give Toro Rosso... I would give them a six as a team. The potential of the car was always there. The Honda power units seemed to be getting better. But by the second half of the season, it was clear that they had just kind of lost the development race compared to everyone else around them. And the and the atmosphere of the team got toxic. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Gasly, for Gasly given, given what he had had to fought through for a car that had potential but never fully realized it, I'm giving Pierre Gasly an eight out of ten. I mean, he looks like he is a finished product. That's why Red Bull were so keen to have him up in the premier team. For Brendan Hartley, it's tough to say. I'd give him a six just based on the baseline of Stroll and Sorotkin, but I feel like Hartley was in a bad spot going back to the start of this season. Yeah. 
And that's not something that you would expect of a driver who, again, before he came to Formula One, Brendan Hartley was making killing in endurance racing. He was the face of Porsche's LMP1 program. He won Le Mans. He won two Premier Class WEC titles. He won Petit Le Mans the week before his first drive with Toro Rosso got announced. Mm -hmm. And again, same case with Sorokin, if not more so. Hartley is going to find something really, really awesome to fall back on. Yeah, definitely. No, no, there's no doubt about that, in my opinion. Like, he's... He's far too he's far too talented as a driver to go that dry for long. Someone, you know, who'll get the opportunity that you know he very much deserves soon enough. I'm I'm dead certain on that. Um, me personally, I had the team of five. I mean, it's hard for me to give them a score much higher than that. I actually came up from a four. Again, like they 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 treated the year as an experiment. I mean, how much do you we want, do you want me to really score them when they essentially gave up on trying to be as competitive as possible halfway through the year? They lost the development race, and as we'll find out with later teams further on on this list, um, like if it's a lot of these F1 seasons, it's how you finish a lot more than how you start um, in that sense. And yeah, it's. It's it's they struggled and they ended up losing that eighth place in the end to Sal, who got better as the year went on. So I'm giving them a five as a team. I agree with you, RJ. An eight for Pierre Gasly. He he dragged himself into that midfield group of drivers on points that uh, is impressive in its own right. Given the car was significantly worse by the end of the year compared to some of the real big hitters like Renault and Force India and what have you. 29 points is a solid haul given where that car was for most of the year. So, and, and you know, an 8 for Gasly, I think, for, is, is about right. I gave Hartley a 5. I mean, there's no getting around it. He was significantly worse than, than Gasly over the course of the year. Not entirely his own fault, which I've not been too harsh on him. Um, it, he's a great driver. He's just probably in the wrong sport more than anything else. Um, and it's it's I can only imagine it must be hard to keep a level head on when you've got so much shit being thrown at you from all sides, from inside and outside the team. Um, a level of empathy I, w I would like to give with Hartley on that one. Um, so I gave him a five on that one. What about you, King? Yeah, I, I think I I want to give Hartley a six. I agree with RJ that uh, that Gasly should get an eight team i'm gonna have to give him five too like, again like you king you were like it's funny because you were more generous in the tour Russell than i was gonna be and you were way harsher on williams <laughs> it's, it's amazing how these things turn out um yeah i can't argue with that that seems about right from where i'm sitting next on the list eighth on the board salba ferrari is that one going to be the, the now the alfa romeo uh, Sauber F1 team. It sounds like a Marks and Spencer's advert when I say that. Um, they were 8th in the Constructors' Championship with 48 points. Um, some really talented kid from Monaco called Charles Leclerc had 39 of those points. He was 13th in the Championship. His best finish was a 6th place um, in Baku. Um, as well as a handful of 7ths that's worth throwing in there as well. Um, his teammate, uh, Marcus Ericsson, scored nine points. He was 17th overall. His best finish was ninth. He achieved that three times over in Bahrain, Germany, and in Mexico. 
Head-to-head, Leclerc won 17-4 in qualifying, uh, 9-4 in race finishes, 664 to 256, all in Leclerc's favour in terms of race laps. A couple of extra fun facts on behalf of RJ. They scored more points in 2018 than in the previous four seasons put together. Almost tenfold their 2017 total. This included their first top six finish in over three years and their first double points finish in since or since 2015. Leclerc was driver of the day in Azerbaijan, finishing sixth for the first of ten point scoring finishes, the most for a Sauber driver since Robert Kibitza in 2008. So we've got a lot to break down here. But I mean, but uh, if we did hand it out an opportune award for most improved team. It could very well might go here, fellas. Yeah. This is it. I'm saying this is it. Yeah, this is definitely it. I said in the preview show that I think they would be they would they would break into double digits, and I think we were all surprised. I was like, I had no idea. Oh my goodness! I made a lot of optimistic predictions. I'm so glad this one came right, and not only did it come right, they got better as the season went on they did they really did they were both scoring points on a semi-frequent basis by the end of the year Charles Leclerc um you know was putting up numbers left right and center um just just incredibly impressive in 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 general and yeah like it's it's hard to even get started with this one because like Again, like, this team was woeful last year. Like, let's not forget, like... They were bad. They were bottom of the constructors last year by a comfortable margin. I think they only scored four points last season. No, five, five points. Five points, five points. Yeah, they were, yeah, and Verline scored four of them in one race, essentially. Yeah, they were a team in crisis last year. Yeah, barely any sponsors. Lack of, you know, they were struggling for funding. They were, they were looking extra struggleicious, so to speak. On this one, and they've they've really turned it around. There's actually reason to be optimistic because hey, they've got Kimi Raikkonen coming next year. You know, who's still yeah? They got Kimi, who is who is driving as well as he's ever driven. They have Antonio Giovinazzi coming up to a full time race seat, and uh, he's shown potential in that car in spurts, mm-hmm. and he's an accomplished Formula Two driver himself. Uh, these are looking good for Alfa Romeo Sauber. They are. Looking very good. They are. And it would be impossible not to talk about this team if we didn't talk a little bit about Charles Leclerc, who's probably a driver of the year candidate um, in his own right. I mean, it wasn't perfect. There was some issues here and there. You know, some DNFs here, a little bit of reckless driving here and there. But overall, I mean... I don't think you can ask for much more out of a out of out of out of the club. I think he was phenomenal this year. He really was. Yeah, literally, I I couldn't expect anything more, especially for someone who's won championships in their rookie year, the the two previous seasons. Yeah, lest we forget, he won GP three in his rookie year. He won Formula Two in his rookie year, and when he finished sixth in Baku which won him driver of the day. That felt like it was a godsend. That felt like it was a miracle. By the time Leclerc had finished 7th, 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 what you know about 7, pay me, three (laughs) times to end the season, it didn't seem like a miracle. It seemed routine. Yeah. Just regular. Again, he finished half the year in the points. 
for a team that finished eighth overall. I mean, on paper, the amount of tweets last year, that is incredibly impressive. Um, Marcus Ericsson, I mean, this, this would turn out to be his, his fifth and final season in Formula One, but I mean, didn't disgrace himself again. I mean, let's be real here. Marcus Ericsson's only really been beaten handily by like A tier prospects in his time in F1. I mean, he's, he's been a little bit unlucky in that sense. He's been a bit of a whipping boy for, but whipping boy for some really, really top tier, heavy hitting names. At least that's how I look at it anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're not wrong there. This was the year where Marcus Erickson could show that while he may not have the stratospheric potential as Charles Leclerc, he's a serviceable race driver in a good, prepared car. And that's giving optimism to what he might accomplish as a rookie in the IndyCar Series next year with Schmidt, Peterson, Motorsports. We're a proven winner. Mm-hmm. Precisely, and I look forward to seeing how he gets on in the number six car in IndyCar next year. <sighs> now, this is the part where I've, where I've only written this far down as, as Toro Rosso, so I'm kind of winging it from here on in ratings-wise for the year. This should, this should be fun. Sauber. I think, running, running this down in my head, I think Sauber's going to be my team of the year. I really do. I'm going... I'm going to go 9 for Sauber as a team. I don't think they could have realistically improved from from much more than what they did. I mean, they turned from a 5-point team to a 50-point team in the space of one year. And they had, you know, 12 points finishes out of 42 compared to 2 last year. That That's an incredible Im- improvement. Um, I think it's one of the biggest improvements in the field besides Haas, um, who also gained three places. But um, I don't think you can realistically ask much more out of a team in terms of improvement than what Sauber had. I would say nine for Sauber as a team. I would say nine for Leclerc as a driver. Again, realistically, um, brilliant season by all accounts. Um one of these stars of the field this year. Incredibly impressive. Um, qualifying sessions, race sessions, you name it, he impressed. Um, and I think a five for Marcus Erickson's about right. I mean, again, he was handily beaten by Leclerc this year again. Um, it's, yeah, it, I mean, I think what you see from Marcus is now the finished article, and I think it's probably for the best. He's, he's, in, a, he's in a better series. Um... So I'm going to say, yeah, nine for the team, nine for Leclerc, five for Ericsson. Hmm. I'm going nine for Sauber as a team. I would give Leclerc... I would... Screw it. I'm giving Leclerc a 10 out of 10. Wow. Mm. He, he almost... There were... After the second or third race of the year, where they kind of dial out the setup issues... From that, Leclerc was consistently one of the best of the rest drivers for the Absolutely. entire season. He was going to be the spearhead for this team's revival if they were ever going to get off the canvas, and they did that. Marcus Erickson, I would give him, I would give him, I would give him a sits. I feel like this is his best stuff. It's is is always been the Erickson line. He has been the he has been zero point zero wins above right. replacement for Formula One for a number of years. And the Ericsson line moved up a bit. And that's good. Because if that's the standard for, like, 
the lowest graded, least talented driver of the field. Marcus Erickson, a multi-time Formula 2 race winner and Formula 3 champion and a solid, dependable driver who gets along with his team very well. Hey, your series is not in a bad place. Indeed. King? Yeah, I'm going to give the team as a whole, I'm going to give them a 9. Uh, it, it definitely couldn't ask for more. Being completely real, I would have given them a 10 if somehow they were able to get a podium. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Uh, Leclerc, I'm going to agree with RJ. I I thought I would be alone on this. but It wasn't the perfect year from Charles Leclerc, but it was near perfect. I'm going to give Charles Leclerc a 10. Wow. And being completely honest, I'm probably not going to give out another 10. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Uh, Marcus Erickson... Uh, I'm leaning towards a six. six. Yeah, I'm gonna go six. I was the harsh one here. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, not not saying you guys are wrong. You're definitely wrong. But um, <laughs> but uh, no. Okay. Interesting scores. So yeah, people keep leaning on the bright side of Marcus for once. If any that applied to the rest of his F1 career. Um. <laughs> uh dear. Uh. What are you doing back there? <laughs> um, should we get to this team from Northamptonshire? Yeah, apparently, um, well, four Sydney Mercedes are excluded from the championship after <laughs> after twelve rounds, um, and then they were reborn again as Racing Point um, for India, um, or as they said, and just says in his notes, Sahara slash Racing Point for India F1 team from Northamptonshire, formerly known as Jordan. Rolls right off the tongue, clearly. Um, Teamy McTeam face. Teamy McTeam face, indeed. I mean, the team scored 59 points in their older iteration as Force India Mercedes. In their new one, they scored 52. That's the points that actually count from a driver's standpoint, if you want to break down how that is as a combined figure. Cheeky Checo, Sergio Perez was 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 had 62 points he was eighth in the driver's championship which i believe is his best ever championship finish i want to say um i could be wrong it's on his that. second best mm. he's finished seventh before okay my bad um thanks for that um his best result was that was that uh was that podium in azerbaijan the first man ever to get on the baku podium twice believe it or not of all people the only non-big three <laughs> podium of 2018 the only one indeed that's insane just like Williams last year. Uh, like, where did that Lance Stroll get that third from? Um, <laughs> so yeah, Checo, 62 points, 8th place overall. His best finish was third in Baku. Esteban Oco and his teammate, not so good this time around. 49 points, 12th in the championship. Um, have four 6th place finishes overall. And that was at Monaco, Austria, Belgium, and Monza. Head-to-head, Ogon was 16-5 to ahead in qualifying, which is quite the drubbing. Um, 9-5 to ahead in race finishes, and in terms of laps led, 610-411 to again in favour of Esteban Ocon. Some bonus stats, Perez's podium in Azerbaijan was the only podium finish for a team not named Mercedes, Ferrari, or Red Bull. His fifth top 10 World Drivers' Championship result in as many years with Force India. The 59 points forfeited with the sale of the team would have put them fifth overall at 111, 11 points behind Renault. Where do we start with these with these boys here? Um, oh, God. 
I, I think you could probably, sons. if if I could sum up their entire season in one weekend, it was Spa. Oh, gotcha. Spa was their year. Yeah, if it, yeah, like if there, if there was a Force India season review mixtape, it would basically just be the Belgian Grand Prix. It it sums it up better than I ever could. Um, by Friday, they are literally peeling the old team bosses, the old team name off the side of the trucks, and covering sponsors, and they're starting over. They started over that weekend, and all of a sudden, both Force Indias are on the second row of the grid. And Esteban Ocon was about three <laughs> meters under breaking away from taking the lead of the Grand Prix off the opening lap. Uh, I think that's like the iconic shot of the year of them pretty much sandwiching Lewis and, and Vettel down the Kevel Street. Yeah, four wide at 200 miles an hour in the run to turn f- in, 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 in the run down the Kevel Street towards turn four. Um, that was an incredible weekend for for what was a crazy season up and down for Force India. They yeah. I mean they were they were their usual consistent selves, RJ. But the points, I mean, is was this finally the year that Force India saw it hit the wall? I mean, we've always teased it year on year that you know this team keeps getting better and keeps finding ways of improving. But I think I think this was the year they finally hit the wall. A tad. And that was before the, the, team, the team changeover. And you know, when when hitting the wall is seventh in the championship after literally starting from zero because, because reasons, um, that's not too bad. It really that's, isn't. That, that's kind of not a bad way to glance off the wall kind of bit. I, I do just kind of feel like there could have been there could have been more opportunities. And I look at Esteban Ocon in particular, who was taken out on the first lap in Baku, mm. was ta- had an oil leak in Spain. In his home race in France, he got wiped out in a first lap collision. In Singapore, he too got wiped out in a first lap collision. You have to, you have to, it, it's strange that. Esteban Ocon doesn't even finish the race, and Sergio Perez goes on to finish the podium. Mm. Maybe it could have been two Force Indias on the podium that day. Who knows? We won't know. It, it kind of when they were both that. running on track on head to head, and when they were both running on track together, you know the points don't show this, but Ocon was consistently the quicker driver of the two. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Again, the point total doesn't tell the full story here. Like, the head-to-head tells a better story. Ocon whooped Perez's ass this year, but that... To alone, the podium swing in Baku put Perez ahead. I don't think Perez was as good as people wanted to make out. And again, like in like in previous years of these... Like, like last season when these two were together, I think Perez was the majority to blame a lot for these clashes between him and Ocon. Like... When in the clutch, I think Perez has made goofs and he's let Ocon basically be the victim and be the full guy a lot in their team dynamic. And yeah, I don't think the scoreboard tells the full story on that one, which sucks for Esteban because guess who's about a seat next year of all people? Yeah, it's Esteban Ocon who is going to be a Mercedes reserve driver waiting in the wings just in case, you know, some other wingman falters Mm. out of the sky i mean king what did you make of it all oh yeah i would say yeah (laughs) you you pretty much said everything i was gonna say the points don't tell the full story 
I think, I think it's that that tried and true. Ocon was more consistent over the course of the season, but Perez got that one big podium to to make him seem like he was greater than the sum of its greater than the sum of its entire season, which is pretty much Perez's you know history against Nico Hulkenberg. Yeah, the, he's the big hitter, and the big hitter is sometimes a bit more significant when points are at a premium in the midfield. It's a it's a little bit unfair on the consistent guy, which is what Hulkenberg was when they were teammates at Force India. But that's often how the cookie can crumble. I mean, this really wasn't a bad effort from Force India, all told, because we're going to get into the ratings portion of this now. Um, it's hard to score a team that literally collapsed on itself halfway through the year, but then came back really strong. It's a strange year. Um, where do you even start on this one? Ooh, I, I I instinct I instinctively went seven. Like that's in my mind. There were seven. They they weren't good enough for an eight. They had some missed opportunities. They could have been a bit better. So it's not an eight. So it's a seven. I, I would go ahead and give them the full eight. Okay. Just because of the fact that they were. Again, this team was put into administration at the middle portion of the season. There was talk that maybe they wouldn't be back after Hungary, or maybe that they wouldn't even show up mm. to Hungary. Um, the car was still good. Both drivers, you know, just played nice with each other. They were capable of scoring big, meaningful points being finishes. Smee, I... I think seven for the team is about right. I mean, again, they did fall from Canada last year. And I can't, I can't ignore that. But they showed true grit and resilience to bounce back how they did. And again, they were their usual solid point scoring selves in the second half of the year, just as much as they were in the first half. Again, they were they they were on for a net fifth place. And again, in in a pound for pound dogfight with. Renault, which have a lot more resources, a lot more brain power, a team that's expanding, and arguably a slightly better driver lineup too. Um, you can't ask for much more than that, even if they did fall a little bit. I think a seven is about right. Driver-wise, again, this is hard to score because again, Checo was inconsistent, but he had a massive result in Baku. Ocon was the more consistent one throughout the year, and he had opportunities yanked out from underneath him that weren't his fault. I'm going to give them both a seven. Yeah, I think... I'm leaning the same way, too. I'm doing oh, the I... same as well. We're all in agreement yeah. on this. What the fuck? <laughs> We're all too agreeable on this. Yeah, I, I think it will get spicier when we get to the big teams. Oh, yes. Um, I, that's all I think but I think sevens for both is about right I don't think either of them were quite as good as they were last year um, and I think Perez's race craft after 150 races is still sketchy which it really shouldn't be for a man of his experience but yeah, it, he, it's it's a bit strange that him and Ocon are effectively over the course of the season like fairly similar in terms of performance despite Perez being far more experienced yeah. You know what? For that reason, I'm giving Ocon an extra half point. Like I think Ocon was the better driver this year, so I'm going to give Ocon a seven and a half just to be petty. I, I, um, do, as well. I do as well. And and no, nothing that went down in Brazil will take away from that. Esteban <laughs> Ocon was still the more consistent driver of the two. It's a shame. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not, we're all team. now persona non grata in the Netherlands. <laughs> oh, 
Roll down some well, fisticuffs. Well, you, you mentioned can't fight uh, an entire nation. You, you can't. Watch me. Um, well, listen. Um, we mentioned spices. Um, do we know what spices go well with papaya? <laughs> um, a match and some gasoline, maybe. Um, <laughs> Chlorots. <laughs> that works too. Um, sixth place overall, McLaren Formula One team. The heist of the century. Yeah. <laughs> sixth overall, sixty-two points scored. Fernando Alonso had fifty of them in what appears to be his final Formula One season. He was 11th overall in the Drivers' Championship, his best result, 5th place in the very first round in Australia. Stoffel van Dorn had 12 points, he was 16th overall, he had 2 8th places as his best results of the year, one in Bahrain and the other one in Mexico. Head-to-head, Alonso completed the the unforeseen clean sweep 21-0 in qualifying. He outqualified Van Dorn every single qualifying session in 2018. So um, does that mean they're going to drop Brock Lesnar in the other car uh, come 2019? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> oh. And uh, yeah, on top of that, he was also 10 to 3 ahead in races they both finished. We get only 13 of them, which says a lot about McLaren's season in general, to be honest with you. But here we go. Um, and yeah, in terms of race laps led, 773 to 165 in favor of Fernando. Some bonus stats, McLaren had 50 points before the summer break. 40 of them were in the first five races out of their team's total 62. Jesus, they only scored 62! Yeah, 62 and 40 of them came in the first five races. That's why I put that in there. (laughs) Yeah, 22 points in the last 16 Grand Prix. That is alarming. Um, Van Dorn completed the fourth most amount of race laps in the season of all people with 1,146. Alonso completed the fewest, 931, believe it or not. Also, Alonso had two Driver of the Day award wins at Australia and Abu Dhabi. Symmetry. (laughs) The first race and the last. Um, So, King, uh, Alonso tried to fight... And it was looking so promising enough that that first round in Australia, even if I was the first one to point out this didn't look like a true reflection of pace. Oh, turns Australia's up, never a true reflection of pace. Turns out I was more right than I realised. Um, especially uh, once we got into the European season. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that... I don't know. It, it seemed like over the course of the year, McLaren was grasping at straws to show that they were progressing. They they were, but not quickly and not quickly as they wanted to, to the point where Autosport in their awards in their awards nominations for Alonso's Driver of the Year nomination, they mentioned that he effectively ended Stoffel Van Dorn's F one career. Yeah. More Let's not roll it back to head to these head to head stats because these are usually a reliable barometer when a team cannot regularly score championship points like the big three can't this is the one consistent thing that you can always bank on when you can at least tell which driver is uh is doing the majority of the work and i would and i would say that uh as the podcast resident alonso stands since day one fernando alonso had a very good season but i don't think this tells the whole story of of what stoffel van dorn's true talent is because even if fernando alonso admitted even if it is just lip service to the media, that 
Carl's the car and the team's built around himself, not around Van Dorn. Mm. Van Dorn will tell you this. Not to mention, by all accounts, Van Dorn might have had a broken car for several rounds. Um, where even Alonso himself had to point out that, yeah, I've seen this telemetry. It looks like Van Dorn's got a completely different car than I do. Um, this team is a mess. And then when they found out by Hungary that they were a mess... They basically admitted they couldn't give Van Dorn the car he he, he he apparently deserved. And in some sort of like PR collateral move, they announced he was being let go for Carlos Sainz. Um, mm -hmm. it's, this team is a hot mess. It, Though I should note, now Carlos Sainz will have... Now, yeah, by Australian next year, Carlos Sainz will have driven for every team that was a part of the three-team Honda deal. Wow. <laughs> Carlos is doing the rounds up in here. I mean, I, I, where do you start with this team? Like they all, like McLaren claimed at the start of the year. Alonso claimed they had the best chassis in the field. Then and they claimed that you know Renault was going to fix all their problems after you know the the they were the biggest victims of the bad Hondas that could come before it, and they were significantly worse than the previous season. Yeah, the real litmus test for how far they've fallen over the course of the season was in Mexico, where all the Renault-powered cars were at selling in practice and qualifying, except the McLaren. Yeah. Oh, they were God. peeling back updates to try and reel back a little bit more speed to make it respectable at the end. That's how bad it got. I think, in terms of looking at the outlook for McLaren's future, it's bright, but maybe not as bright as they hope. They got I two think, great young drivers. Yeah, but. they got two great young drivers. They have they have Carlos Sainz Jr. and Lando Norris. I think for the best, they don't have a clear number one. There's not an obvious choice to design the car around. Uh, number two, I, I think... There is an upside here. Ooh. They will improve. I can't wait to hear this. They will, <laughs> they will improve, but their ceiling is really low. Like, I could see them improving with, like, the maximum ceiling, them being the best of the rest, fighting consistently with Renault. And that's it. That's McLaren's ceiling, being best of the rest, when this team in our lifetimes was a multi-time championship winning effort. Oh, how the mighty has fallen. Um, it, it might, again, as Cam points out in this score, it might be the worst power unit in the field again. And when and in the meantime, Red Bull are going to be rocking Hondas next year, which at least in the short term looks more reliable and potentially quicker. Yeah. McLaren seemingly have a bad habit of getting into bed with the wrong people at the wrong time, and this could be another example of that. But hey... Losing Fernando Alonso, who still struggles in how to develop a team and a car properly, might be the best thing to ever happen to him. Who knows? Um, Ratings-wise, I mean, points are points. They started out extremely well, um, and sixth doesn't lie. When the paychecks come in for the constructors' bonuses, the money don't lie. However, for being arguably the most significant fallers in the field... Over the course of the like the second two thirds of the year, I can't give him any higher than a four. 
Yeah, like, I was thinking the same exact thing. I was being generous. I was going to give them a five and just split it right down the middle, just nope, like their season. They are not average. No, they were not average. They were below average. Again, they scored 22 points in the last 16 races. That would have put them ninth overall. Like, they... Like, they were camping on the first five rounds of the year, and they 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 got significantly worse as the year went on. At least at least they were. That's the thing. The first five rounds, they were consistently in the points. They had eight out of their first ten cars that were scoring, and then they went on a dry spell for three weekends, and they never got into the top six again. Like, yeah. they're four out of ten. That's the team was piss poor. Um, like, like, this I blame is not- the I blame the new nose that looks like the def- the face of a distressed person screaming into the void. <laughs> if the boot fits, right? <laughs> I mean, the drivers. Again, how high do you want to score him here? Because like Fernando Alonso was still solid with the car he had. The problem was he helped develop said car, and he's clearly still not very good at it. Though, I should add in this other note about Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso was voted by the team principals fourth best driver in the field, two spots up on last year. Oh, he he was so gritty in that that McLaren, (laughs) wasn't he? Look at that hard work he put in. God bless him. Well, gritty is orange, too. (laughs) (laughs) I would say... I would say eight for Fernando. He still had an excellent season by his standards. Again, the, oh damn, you 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 rated him higher than I did. I, I, look, he almost cracked the top ten in a car that had no business being that high. Like I kind of have to score him on the on the more positive side of the scale here. Like he did still drag that McLaren into play on numerous occasions it probably didn't deserve. Um, and we'd normally like that sort of thing in F1, especially in the midfield. So I'd be remiss not to give him a score of like eight. I feel bad for Stoffel because I think Stoffel was a lot closer last year than he was this year. This year he thoroughly for- he got beaten. And again, not entirely Stoffel's fault. Um, bit of a running pattern with, these second, with the second drivers in these lower teams. I would say six for Stoffel. I, f- I think everybody in F1 knows that Stoffel is better than what he had at McLaren. And I hope Formula E is the landing spot for a guy that we all know is immensely talented. And he's just the basically just went to the wrong team at the wrong time. As at the, and Fernando has almost single-handedly ruined his F1 career, um, for lack of a better term. What do you guys think for drivers, then, at least? Um, I would give Alonso, excuse me, 24 hours of Lamar reigning and defending oh, champion Fernando sake. Alonso an 8.14 for the culture. Um, and I would give Soffel Van Dorn a six. Um, again, um, he's much better than this. Yes. Watch his GP2 campaign. Watch his super formula campaign against true professionals. And we can go back to 2007 when the car was at least more consistent over the course of a season and Van Dorn at least had a fighting chance, mm-hmm. just not in this team. In an ideal situation, Formula E would be the launching point back into an F1 seat where he can at least prove his talent. I don't know if that's going to happen, and that sucks. Yeah, yeah, because it seems like he's he's been saved by Mercedes in a way, but he effectively has two drivers in front of him. What about you, King? 
Ooh, I think I'm with RJ. Stoffel gets a six from me, but though Alonzo, it might be a little bit of my bias showing, but Alonzo, I have to give a seven. Hmm. Okay. No, to be fair, I'm never going to have a go with somebody for being one point out. I mean, geez, but uh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, you could also say a lot of the McLaren's um, inferior performances could also... Uh, could also be down to Fernando in that sense as well. Obviously, the politics of that, you know, is Fernando's specialty and whatnot. We're halfway in, folks. Um, so, we get into the top five, and uh, this is a relative surprise. Haas, fifth overall, ladies and gentlemen. America's team. America's team is here. Haas, fifth overall um, with 93 points in, in the Constructors' Championship. Kevin Magnussen led the charge this time around with 56 points, ninth in the Drivers' Championship. He's cracked the top 10 for the first time since uh, his McLaren days. Um, his, his, fifth, his best finish was a fifth place in two of them, actually. He had fifth in Bahrain and Austria, as well as fastest lap in Singapore. Because sod it, no, who doesn't love a good fastest lap graphic on the screen? And Romain Grosjean was 14th overall with 37 points. He had that best finish of fourth in Austria. Um, Head-to-head wise, Grosjean was 11-8 up in qualifying, but uh, they drew in race finish in race finishes 7-7. Um, in terms of race laps, led Magnussen beat Grosjean 6-10 to 4-15. Couple of bonus stats for you. Best World Constructors' Championship result and most points in a season for Haas. Best Drivers' Championship result and most points in a season for Kevin Magnussen. Grosjean had 16 Q3 appearances, most of any driver outside of the top six. Most points scored with Haas, but worst World Drivers' Championship result since 2014. Interesting year. And we all know what happened with Grosjean that year. Yeah, interesting year for Haas. Yeah, like, we're, that's a worrying stat, not for Grosjean, but for Formula 1 as a whole. Because if Grosjean scored the most points he's had with Haas, but it's his worst result since twenty since 2014, that means all the other drivers are in similar situations where they're scoring, uh, where they're scoring either a lot of points or no points. Well, somebody had to be... So let's start yeah, at the start. Go on, go on. We'll start at the start here, that, uh, that Haas could have more points until the wheel guns failed them in Austria. Australia, I should say. That probably cost them 22 points. It did cost them 22 points, I feel. Mm. And that would have put them right in the firing line of Renault. Like, right behind them. And let's not forget as well, Grosjean's car got disqualified twice this year. Which, for a team in their third season, is Bush League. There's no other way for it. Like, their car was illegal on two separate occasions. Now, Floorgate. The the, the Floorgate in Monza and and Kevin Magnussen overran the fuel flow limit, which is just silly to me. Yeah, that's something that we've only seen once before this. Yeah, like, that, that should not be happening for a professional F1 team in its third season. Um... So for me, like, but that's the thing. But that's the thing. Oh yeah, for for yeah, it was fuel allocation, which is even worse. Yeah, it's like you literally put too much fuel in the car. Like, like that is amazing. Um, but on the other side of the coin, Magnussen was low key phenomenal this year. Like, 
he was he all of a sudden like we saw Magnuson blossom as a guy that okay still has asshole tendencies on track every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, the red mist is still uh, still real. Yeah, and sometimes it can bite you when you least expect it, including during free practices. Yeah, he let, let's weigh this up. He had the free practice incident with Charles Leclerc in Spain. He almost ran Gasly into the wall at 200 miles an hour in Baku. Um, he had the one in Japan where, again, he, he tries to block past Leclerc on the home straight at the absolute last possible second, and that could have been a spectacular accident. Magnussen needs to dial it down a little bit when it comes to Racecroft, because if you take that away, his results were fantastic this year. He was a legitimate contender yeah. for the Formula 1.5 title. <laughs> this is who you gave away, McLaren? Amazing. <laughs> yeah, when Magnussen had his head screwed on straight, he was awesome. 56 points in inside the top 10. Like, and in the points more often than he wasn't last year. A couple of patchy moments because I think Hass's car... I think Haas still has the whiff of the sort of team where it's like their performance still very much depends on what sort of track they're on. I don't think they've got a consistently great car, and I still think they lost a bit of ground at the end of the year um, in the development race, which I think they've always struggled with. Where they, I think they seem to seemingly run out of gas towards the end of the year, but they scored a lot of their points in the middle of the season. It probably would have been even more if it weren't for two things. Again, one, the DQs, two, the, the wheel gun failures in Australia, and three, Grosjean not scoring a point until bloody Austria probably wouldn't have hurt either, quite frankly. Um, but overall, I'm going to take off half a point for the DQs because that's unacceptable. Um, besides that, Eight out of ten for Hass as the team. I mean, they're three places higher than last year. They've they've cracked the top five, which is what Hass was originally aiming for in their first few years as, as a run. Um, so, you know, I think an eight for the team is about right. I don't know what you how you guys feel about that. I would have gone. Yeah, I, I'd say I, I'd look past the the new team smell still lingering around. They they definitely they definitely deserve yeah. an eight. I think so as well. And how fitting, considering Roman Grosjean's been there since the beginning. This year, I would give him a six. Yeah, I feel like he was unlucky at times, and there were also patches of like what we saw as bad 2012 Romain Grosjean mm. pop up, but also patches of good 2013 Romain Grosjean popping mm. up. By the time he finally got in the points, he was best of the rest in Austria. He had a sixth-place finish later on down the road. There are still glimpses that he has that one-lap speed, especially in qualifying. Mm. But my goodness, man, you also you also bend it on your own. In Azerbaijan, oh, sixth. and then pass it off again a guy in another car. He was running sixth <laughs> in that he wasn't race. Even near you. <laughs> he was running in sixth. Ugh, frustrating. Um, Driver-wise, I think six is about right. I think Grosjean was slightly above average in the end when it all balances out. Again, as you say, some moments and flashes of brilliance for Grosjean. As you mentioned, the fourth in Austria was phenomenal. 
him charging through the through the field in Germany was very impressive when he finished sixth on that day. The one lap speed is still certainly there with Grosjean. He can still certainly hook a lap up. That's for damn sure. Um, but again, some sloppy mistakes there. Magnussen gets an eight. I think Mag. I think that was a that was an excellent season from Magnussen, and I think this was finally the year where K Mag put it all together. Um, Ray proved that yes, he can be a consistently good top tier number one tier number one sort of driver in midfield team. Some are in the ballpark of Hulkenberg and Checo, guys who who are established midfield runners. It's proof that with the right car, K Mag is definitely now one of those dudes. So for me, I think an eight. Um, for K Mag is about right. King? Yeah, definitely. I would say, man, as much as I hate to say it, because, man, I don't like Kevin Magnuson. But yeah, 8 out of 10 for Kevin Magnuson. Uh, Grosjean, I want a 6 out of 10 for Grosjean. Yeah, seems about right. I, I can't I can't disagree with that for obvious reasons. They're exactly the same schools as me. All in agreement. Cans of rich energy for all. <laughs> Yay! Somebody buy me a that sugar water away from me. Somebody buy me a crate on Amazon. It's now available. I will drink it during the podcast if someone buys oh, me a crate. Oh, ship one to King. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. He's got to fill that fridge up with something. Can't be any worse than Mountain Dew. Um. Well, don't call me out like this. <laughs> In okay, fourth we're, place. We're gonna we're gonna get your team king. Does oh, it make you feel better? <laughs> yep, it's time for Renault, ladies and gentlemen. The first of the factory boys and yeah, the Renault Sport Formula One team, fourth overall with one hundred and twenty two points. Um again, a very solid all round team effort there. Nico Hulkenberg led the way with sixty nine Nice points. Uh, seventh overall in the Royal Drivers' Championship. He had a best finish of fifth in Germany. Carlos Sainz Jr., 53 points there. He was tenth overall. He also had a best finish of fifth, and that was in Azerbaijan. Head-to-head, Hulkenberg won 13-6 in qualifying. He also won 8-4 on race finishes. And on laps, led 526 to 352. Some bonus stats here. Career best World Drivers' Championship result for Nico Hülkenberg. Sainz had 13 points paying finishes. Most of any driver outside of the top six. Best result for Renault since 2010. Best result for the Enstone-based team since 2013. As he puts it in brackets, Lotus the third. Um, which I thought was quite funny. Um... And it's worth mentioning as a bonus stat, Nico Hülkenberg, Formula 1.5 champion um, with 69 points there. Um, And, I mean, King, I think it's best you lead the charge on this one. (laughs) Ooh, leading the charge for Renault Sport Formula 1 team. They were definitely... They were definitely best of rest, but they didn't have any, I would say, standout performances. They were just consistently above average. Yeah. Which... I mean, it's not a terrible thing to do. It's the team. It's what happens when you have a team led by Nico Hulkenberg. It's just you know, <laughs> solid across the board. It's very clean, very efficient. But um, it's like, okay. And Hulkenberg has clearly proven himself to be an efficient team leader. Don't know how things are going to play out next year, but we'll get to that when we get to that. 
Carlos Sainz Jr. I was a bit disappointed from our previous Driver of the Year nominee. Our reigning Driver of the Year. Yeah. Our reigning Driver of the Year. Me trying to do revisionist history to distance myself from Carlos yeah. Sainz Jr. Yeah. Nah. But, um, RJ, it, we have a new contender for the Golden Cock. Um, <laughs> King for the worst prediction in the history of Motorsport 101. <laughs> Single-handedly cursing the Carlos Sainz hype train. Congratulations, King. You've got anything to say for yourself. I'm so sorry, Carlos, that you'll have to wear orange next year. He won't even have to wear orange. That suit is mostly white. <laughs> That's true. Oh. Carlos, Carlos, Carlos. Again, he made the points 13 times. He was still very, very consistent in the point score. Just didn't regularly get points ahead of Nico Hulkenberg. It's a problem. Um, but yeah, I think King's on the money. I mean, they didn't have really a standout drive all year. They, I think they could have had one in Baku if Hulkenberg didn't put it in the wall. Um, <laughs> they could have been looking at a podium that, that weekend. Um, but again, Signs was too far back and Hulkenberg was out from P4 when he put it in the fence. Um, they weren't spectacular, and I think to a degree for a factory team with their level of resources and have been open about expanding what they've got, this is what they should have been aiming for last year, in my opinion. And they've got it. I wouldn't say it was particularly impressive. So team score-wise, I'm going to go seven for Renault. I say that because pound for pound, this is probably where they should be as a team right now. Um... I don't know what you guys think, but I'm a bit more cynical towards Renault than, than, than probably most. Yeah, this is where they should be right now. Uh, I think, like, yeah, this is where they should be right now. Anything else is speculation towards next year. Hopefully things improve for them. Please things improve. Please. Uh, um, I'll tell you that they've gone from 8 points to 57 to 122. So they are making steady improvement. But they should be. They're Renault. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like they're going to be pounding on the door for podiums next year. On that alone, I would give them a 7.5. Again, this is where they should be, and they were consistently productive. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Drivers... For winning the Formula 1.5 title, I'm going to give Nico Hulkenberg an extra half point. I think it's only fair. (laughs) Um, We have to applaud the winner of the Best of the Rest title. It's a mantle that's worth having on this show. Um, I'm going to give Hulkenberg 8.5. I was going to go 8, but obviously the half half point bonus comes into effect there. It would have been a 9, but he made, I think, one or two silly mistakes. Um, again, I think the team as well certainly let him down on a couple of occasions due to not so great reliability, which I think is worth a mention mm-hmm. as well, um, which is unfortunate um, because I think Hulkenberg could have easily been close to a hundred points on his own um, if if the right circumstances had come up. So I'm going to give Hulkenberg an eight point five, and he kind of single-handedly derailed the Carlos Sainz hype train a bit. On this one. I mean, Signs was decent, but 
if we really think Carlos is the A-plus prospect we all want him to be, then he needs to be beating dudes like Hulkenberg, like Checo did. And he was significantly worse off in that fight. So... I'm gonna guess. I'm no, gonna say six. I'm gonna say six point five for Carlos Sainz. I don't think he was. It was. I think he was still a cut above guys like Grosjean and and Ericsson and Van Dorn, who also got six ratings. But six and a half for Carlos. Must try harder. I think the phrase is how to describe it. I'll split the difference. Uh, Hulk gets an eight um, for a lot of the reasons you said. Carlos Sainz also gets a seven for a lot of the same reasons you've said. Mm. Um, yeah. This is still um, this still this is still the same Carlos Sainz that took Matt's Verstappen to his limit when we were all gushing over Matt's Verstappen before his heel turn, right? True. I <laughs> hope so. They didn't just drop in Sergio Canamas as a body double. No, that's being mean to Carlos Sainz this year. Carlos Sainz did fine. Hulkenberg did better. King. Yeah, I agree with RJ. Hulkenberg gets an eight. Signs gets a seven. Carlos Signs, I don't know. Like, looking back at his previous two years, Carlos Signs like dangerously reminds me of Toronto FC in in, oh. in MLS, <laughs> where like they have a dominant year. Next year was like, there's nowhere but up. And then what happened, guys? Yeah, you ran into a freight train that has five stripes, three of them are red, two of them are black, and they got a gold star at the top, baby. MLS Cup champion. Woo! (laughs) Yes, and I'm going to move on before Hazel gets into a rant about Hulkenberg on our Discord server. Yes, we know he's not a particularly likable human being. He can be that and a good driver at the same time. It's amazing how these things turn out. Next! We're into the big three, and uh, this, this is where I think things are going to get spicy. We take a huge jump up from 122 to 419 points for the bronze medalists, Aston Martin Red Bull Tag Heuer Racing. Rolls right off the tongue. Um, Max Verstappen, 249 points, fourth in the Drivers' Championship, Two wins, 11 podiums, two fastest laps over the course of the season. His teammate, Daniel Ricciardo, had 170 points. Sixth overall, sixth in the championship. Two wins, two poles, and four fastest laps. Some bonus stats for you. Career best in points, podiums, and drivers' championship results for Verstappen. Seven podiums after the summer break. Five in a row to end the season. Voted driver of the day, a league leading six times. Austria, Singapore, Russia, Kota, Mexico, and Brazil. Ricardo suffered grid-high six mechanical failure DNFs, had grid-low 13 classified results. Voted driver of the day for victories in China and Monaco, charges from 12th and 15th to 4th in Hungary and Japan. So that's kind of crazy, that's it. A Red Bull driver won driver of the day almost half the season. Boys like Red Bull. Just, just people just love it's, Red Bull. It's crazy. You're just, you're just saying that because you want to avoid the discussion of who is buying rich energy. Oh god! This is it. happening in real time at the Discord chat as we're recording <laughs> this on the 12th of December. Yeah. I don't. If you buy me rich energy, I will not drink just it. Send, just send it to me. I'll take one for the team. Um, this is where you back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. Oh god, you're not gonna you're not gonna make the patrons force me to drink. If yes. you, do, if you pe- pledge us at the $30 level, 
You buy us a can of a case of rich energy. This is going to happen, people. <laughs> oh, this... Matt's Verstappen. Maximum Verstappen. Tale of two seasons for me. He was mm-hmm. patchy as fuck the first five or six rounds. Like, he was exhibiting driving standards I'd expect from him three years prior when he was still an over-aggressive Ricky. Um, we forget Bahrain. We forget China, where he drove a bit of like a, drove a bit like a pillock on those two occasions. Mm. You know, ruined Sebastian yeah. Vettel's race on that one again. You know, tried to bite off more than he could chew against Lewis Hamilton, and Lewis was one of the few guys who didn't back down. And well, look what happened. Um, however, if the championship started with ten rounds to go, Verstappen would have finished second overall. The second half of the year was as great as Verstappen has ever driven. He was sensational in the second half of the season. Like, the second half of the year is what we were all hoping Max Verstappen was going to be. And it is it is actually kind of scary how fast he turned it round this year. And there's no doubt about it. He should have won in Brazil as well on top of what he already had. And Verstappen... I think he's becoming the guy. And um, I, I think it's kind of fitting, King, that, you know, the last podium of the year was Hamilton, Vettel, Verstappen in that order because I think they could be the three best drivers in the field right now. And uh, that could fun going forward. I'm just throwing that out there. But what did you guys make of make of that season? <laughs> yeah, the, the Verstappen is clearly upon us. He is clearly evolving into, I wouldn't say his final form as a driver, but he's getting there, and it's scary. He's still just 21 years old. <laughs> he has four years of experience. And that's the weird thing, is that Verstappen has enough experience where he shouldn't be having spells where, in Monaco, he crashes at the same spot he did two years mm-hmm. earlier and throws away what could have been a 1-2 finish for Red Bull by the time we're even done with Friday practice. But at the same time, once the second half of the season kicked off, this is the Verstappen that we were all hoping to see. He's getting there. This is the Verstappen. Yeah, he's getting there. He's getting there at an alarming rate of knots. Um, However... I'm going to shit on this team from a great height again because <laughs> be, because they had 13 DNFs and that's true and I think 10 of them were mechanical it's the same old story with Red Bull like if the, the, we evaluate Red Bull in the context of major championships they have won four of them there is no excuse for a team of their standard their resources and of their driver quality, they should have a package that is good enough to to contend for the title, especially if they won four races this year and could have easily had a fifth if it wasn't for Esteban Ocon in Brazil. They should have had five wins. Oh, goodness. I can can double down on that and say they should have six, if not for Baku. Yeah. Where they just couldn't get out of each other's own damn way. (laughs) <laughs> oh dear it's, it's like I love that the discord is now talking about me and Hazel going to a pub together to drink rich energy together like 
<laughs> That's the pertinent Red Bull it's, it's not even. It's not even the Discord saying this. It is Hazel herself saying. Blame this. her. This is all her fault. Um, no, nah, no, nah, you, you started can, You started this. You can write to Hazel at Harrison101HD on Twitter. Hi. <laughs> Don't tweet me about rich energy, please. Um, no, but uh, I, we can't talk about Red Bull as, and DNS if we're not talking about Daniel Ricardo. And Ricardo was just so friggin' unlucky. I mean, six, six DNFs in a season where he could have very easily you know, given Verstappen, I think, a good run for his money over the course of the season. And I think he does on sheer ability and performance alone, but again, we'll never know because there is just so many DNFs against his name, including like even running as high as second in Mexico before you know his power unit um, failed on him and, and had to park it from second and, and elements like that. Yeah. We know Ricardo is a phenomenal driver, and we know he's probably going to crush it at Renault next year, but boy, what what bad luck he had! Oh boy! Oh yeah. <laughs> there could have been one more retirement, but somehow Danny Ricardo managed to squeeze out a victory at Monaco because Monaco is a track where cars were three seconds faster than him, and you need to be five seconds faster per lap in order to pass anybody cleanly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That race where Lance Stroll was going five seconds a lap faster than the leaders at one point. That was a fun time, wasn't it? Uh. <laughs> Welcome to Monaco. Welcome to Monaco, ladies and gentlemen. Ratings. I'm going to be controversial on the team score. Five. I, I, Fuck. <laughs> for the resources so- that they have, the car they have, yeah. I don't think that's far-fetched. Like, for the resources they have, for the drivers they have, and the fact they are still no closer to winning a championship than they were five years ago. Like, and for the then for the shoddy reliability that their team has got. And then they, they pin it all on the goddamn engine suppliers when they didn't have a single power unit related failure all season long. Like, this team is not good enough. I don't care what anyone says to me. They have the best they had the best driver lineup in the field, bar none. They had a power unit that was good enough to win Grand Prix. They should have easily had six wins this year. They only got four, and they had double-digit DNS for the second year in a row. That's not acceptable. Like, it's a five out of ten from me, because do you know what? They are They are somehow, they're like the anti-Sauber. They are worse than the sum of their parts. And that infuriates me as a team that I know is capable of better. Um, so for, the, for me, the team gets a five. Um, it's harsh, but I feel like relative to what they've got, they should be a hell of a lot better than what they are. Um, drivers, I'm... Oof, this is going to be tricky. You know what? Yeah. I, I am personally going to exempt Daniel Ricciardo from scoring because I think the point difference, I think, is just too big to fairly score him in comparison to Max Verstappen. Um... So I'm going to put a nice big fat N.A. next to Ricardo's name and say this one wasn't really on him. Um, Verstappen's score? His first half of the year was a 7. His second half of the year was probably a 9.5. I would say I'll give him the upper end of the average and say 8.5 for Verstappen. 
Um, I'm not going to forget how dodgy he was in the first half of the season, but his second half was sensational. Um, and I think that I think that's a fair balance of what Verstappen's season was. I would give um, I would give both drivers an eight um, because again, Verstappen was very patchy at the start of the year and turned it around mightily. He was a six at the start of the year and a ten at the end of it. Mm, um, that's fair. Ricard, Ricardo. Um, you start to get to the point where maybe he's not as outright fast as Verstappen is on his day, but when Verstappen is bad, Ricardo's much more polished. Yeah. And when the car was breaking down, it was always from a high position on the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team team gets a six. Pretty much a lot of the same reasons you mentioned. They can have so much more than this, and yet they don't. It's getting to a point where Christian Horner's running out of excuses where he keeps saying, oh, we're losing 0.7 on the straights. No, you're not. You're not losing that much on the straights because then you're winning in places like Brazil, for Christ's sake. Like, fix your shit, Horner. Like, this is not good enough. Like, the shareholders are going to get pissed off at this rate. King, what do you reckon? Well, first off, they don't have shareholders. They answer to one single person named Dieter Mader's Dieter Mader-shit. You Yeah, got my because point. he's the Mader shit, dog. <laughs> yeah, boy. And uh, yeah, I would say I'm gonna lean more towards RJ. I'm gonna give them a six. Uh, both drivers, I think, deserve an eight. I'm gonna give Ricardo an eight because yeah, while this while the untainted sample size was small, when he was you know operating at full at full untainted potential he was one of the drivers to watch China yeah probably the biggest example of that that's that's fair again I think I I can't give Ricardo a score out of sheer justice sake um because I think the sample size is a bit too low for me on that one but uh yeah I, I didn't think I would be the generous one on Verstappen that's uh that's a news flash to me Oh boy. This is where I think we're going to be divided the most. The runners up. <laughs> the silver medalists. The Scuderia Ferrari, ladies and gentlemen. Clorks at the ready, fellas. <laughs> Let's get into this shit. They were runners up in the championship. They scored 571 points. 320 of them came from Sebastian Vettel. He was runner-up in the Drivers' Championship. He had five wins, five pole positions, 12 podium finishes, three fastest laps. Kimi Raikkonen was was fifth overall. Sorry, fourth overall. Sorry, my apologies. Um, fourth overall, 251 points. Um, sorry, I said it back. He was third in the Drivers' Championship. My, my apologies. I, I read the wrong scoreboard for a yeah. second there. I was reading last year's. Um, third in the Drivers' Championship, one win, a pole position, 12 podiums, and one fastest lap. Bonus notes, Vettel matches high for wins in a season with Ferrari, scores most points in a season with Ferrari, voted driver of the day three times for victories in Canada and Belgium, and charged to fifth from first lap clash in France. Raikkonen records best season since 2012 F1 return with most points and podiums, ends longest droughts between F1 poles and wins in history, one driver of the day just the once at Monza when he finished in second. <laughs> yeah, and everyone looks to everyone looks at me. Um, here we go. This is going to be fun. Um, where do we start on this one, boys? Because this is like the Schrodinger's cat of F one teams. 
They were really good, and yet they were annoyingly bad. Sometimes they were brilliant, sometimes they were terrible. And yet, this was the best team anyone has given Mercedes in terms of a fight since the hybrids began. I don't know where to put this team, and it's kind of scary in that sense. Um, oh god, I think i I rather measure Ferrari on their low point, where literally during their collapse after mid-season they were uh how to say it self-censoring their press releases to make it seem the situation was better than it actually was mm-hmm. again where they weren't in terms of the grand scheme of things and the f1 grand scheme of things this is their best season of the Vettel era but it wasn't good enough. It didn't even meet their own expectations. Yeah, they Ex- they were clearly aiming for more here, right, RJ? Right. Expectations that were set by somebody who is no longer with us by the end of the season. Hmm. That would be former for Fiat CEO Sergio Marchionne. Hmm. Passed away this year. Of, uh, passed away earlier this year, mid-season. Um, that obviously might have affected the team quite a bit. And I think everybody will look to Vettel and the turning point of where that all collapsed as that race in Germany where he led, and then all of a sudden he didn't and ended the race in a wall. It, it was never really the same for Sebastian after that. We had the we had the win in Belgium, but you know didn't win again for the rest of the year while Hamilton added another six GP victories to his name since then. Um, a, a lot of shit has been thrown on both sides of the fence as the wearer to apportion blame and you know, where did Sebastian stack up? How much of this was on Sebastian? How much of this was on the team? How much of this was on Kimi Raikkonen? It's hard to divvy up the blame because it's, there's none of it as an easy answer on that one. I think Seb's absolutely got to take his fair share on this one because he made a couple more mistakes needed last year. But again, at times he was phenomenal. He won at Silverstone with a brilliant race win and overtake there. You know, he had another brilliant overtake in to, against Lewis Hamilton in Austria. You know, he, he's, and that's the thing. That's the scariest thing about this. He still had his best year for Ferrari yet. But the car kind of maybe made it seem like there was more potential to give. And that's probably what's going to make Ferrari's year all that more infuriating because they had the potential for so much more. Because I'm like, like here's the thing. Think back to last year. Last year... I think Sebastian drove so well that he gave the team probably more morale than it deserved because I don't think the car was there this this time round, like last year when Vettel was virtually flawless, besides maybe Baku, until Singapore, when that was more of a racing incident anyway. This year, it's kind of the other way, the other way around in the sense of the car was actually genuinely very good, and I think Vettel kind of underperformed to a degree to make the situation worse than it actually was. First lap incidents did not did not necessarily help. No. Yes, he won driver day in France, but (laughs) that was largely the result of his own doing. Yeah, yeah, it, it heavily felt like Vettel's mistakes was someone struggling to swim while they're about to drown, like. They had all the tools to win the world championship, but didn't, and realized that they weren't, and them 
going for that Hail Mary just made it even worse. It seems to me like the team was on the knife edge. It was like, if everything went perfectly, they could win. But I think, I said it before earlier in the year, I think Mercedes just had a greater margin of error and just a better car overall throughout the year where they could probably afford to bat at 99% and still win. I think in the case of Ferrari, it had to be inch perfect and anything less could have ended in disaster. And Seb, I think, got the rough end of the stick on that one. Um, And as Cam points out, as soon as the cracks formed, the dam exploded. And, uh, oh boy, how on earth do we score this? Um, (laughs) That second half. Like the first half was pretty darn good. The, yeah. the second half, not great. And yet, statistically, they were actually pretty darn good. Especially Kimi Raikkonen, who had yeah. his best season in the hybrids to date. You know, he's gotten better every year, really, since 2015. And this year, he, he was so good, he lost his job. It's amazing how that turns out. Yeah, God, it's so hard to score. It's their best season in recent memory. It's their best season since, what, 2012, maybe? <laughs> yes. It's their best season in six years, and yet it still feels disappointing. Like, how, how? Gut feeling, gut feeling, I want to score Ferrari at eight. Like, I don't... It, it yeah, that seems about like, right. That's, yeah, that's, right. that's what I would score them. That's fair. If you average out the good at their start of the season to the good but not great where they should be at the second half then yeah that scans no that's fair um i, I i'm glad that you said it first king because it may <laughs> it doesn't make me feel so bad about me giving them an eight now um in that sense um because like i said points mean prizes and stats are probably the most important thing overall in an f1 season and this was Ferrari's best year in six years. Like this, it's it's ultimately going to be a bit disappointing that they didn't have more to show for their efforts. But we forget we are dealing with a true juggernaut in front of them. a One of the best teams F1 has ever seen in front of us, including one of the best drivers we have ever seen. And mm. I think it's easy to lose sight of that when I think... You know what I think it is, RJ? I think a lot of it was based on hope. I think we wanted Ferrari to give Mercedes a better fight. And I think when you hope a little bit more, I think you put the rose-tinted spectacles on a little bit. And you kind of give them every impetus to think, yeah, they're going to do it. They're going to want to do it. And then we all start drinking absinthe after the race is finished. Think Think of how many average races we thought were better because Ferrari had won. And think of how many good races toward the end of the season we kind of shat on from a great height because Mercedes were winning all the Mm -hmm. time. I think that's a blowback effect, that. Uh, As King puts it in our Discord server, I know I'm a sinner, but I could be a saint in your head. Driver scores. God, how much of a fanboy am I going to say when I'm going to say the number I'm thinking of? Do you want me to just go Go first? I I think we've used this number combination before. I want to give Vettel an 8. It was a heroic try at the championship. He threw it all on the line, but there are far too many errors for me to even consider a 9 as any reasonable possibility. Raikkonen, I'd also give an 8 because, man... Kimmy, Kimmy changed a lot of minds on, on the where he was in his career arc. 
Yeah, but by the end of this season, it actually, I actually felt bad that Raikkonen was losing his seat because he's clearly still good enough to be in it. Um, mm. And he's losing it to what could be a, a, a legitimate S-tier prospect in Charles Leclerc. Yeah, the, the wunderkind of our generation. By the looks of it, yeah. I mean... That's the funny thing about Sepp. Yeah. He made multiple mistakes. Significant ones. A lot more than he did last year. But, as far as I'm concerned, he is still the second best driver F1 has. And it's not even close. Like that's the <laughs> like that's the terrifying thing. No one else was in the same postcode compared to Lewis Hamilton this year. So how low a score can I really give him? Because he was still excellent in the context of the championship. It's just Lewis had nearly four hundred and ten points this year. It's it it's sh- like I think the point margin is bigger than what it probably should be for obvious reasons. I'm gonna go eight point five for Seb. Because, again, he won five Grand Prix this season. And he was the only guy that even gave Hamilton a scare this year. Nobody else came close. Not, again, not entirely you know, the, the Seb's reasoning for that. Again, Valtteri, we'll get to in a minute, was probably, probably should have been a contender. But for reasons beyond his control, he wasn't. Um, Ryken gets an eight. I think Raikkonen had a very good season, by all accounts. Um, he's proven... This was the year that I think we were all hoping Kimi Raikkonen was going to be two or three years ago, as the solid clean-up guy that Ferrari needed when Seb didn't have a good day. And amazingly, Seb had quite a few not-so-good days this year. But I think in the context overall of the season, I still think Sebastian is like the clear number two guy in the field and is the only one in that ridiculous tier alongside Lewis when mm. when we get it. So I think that is why I'm giving him 8-5 and I'm going to get so much flame mail for that but I think the bigger picture says to me that Seb is still, still had a, a, a very good season. It was just one where I think we were all kind of hoping for a bit more. RJ? I give Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel, nines each. Wow. This was the best that Raikkonen has been as a driver since the start of the hybrid era. He looked like the Kimi Raikkonen of old. The Kimi Raikkonen who just came back with that mullet and that Lotus team. Mm. It's it's the best that I've seen him drive since his comeback. Yeah, there should have been more wins for him. He was a more reliable second driver, filling that role more admirably than his compatriot this year. Mm-hmm. And Sebastian Vettel, for all the reasons that you said, he was the only driver that could consistently take the fight to Lewis. Yeah, there were points where he did make mistakes, but ultimately, you have to outweigh the, the bad with the good there. Yeah, and I think there was still a lot more good than bad this year, at least, at least from yeah. where I'm sitting anyway. Um, I think I think the grand scheme of things I think he'll be forgiven for this season he better beat Charles Leclerc next year or we're going to be having some conversations let's put it that, yeah. let's put it that yeah. way um, it's a big year for Sebastian next year and yeah it could be the make or break year for Seb at Ferrari let's put it that way um, so We've put this off long enough. Your Constructors Champions for the fifth year in a row. Mercedes, AMG Patronus, Formula One team. Again, Team gets a 10 out of 10. Hamilton gets a 10 out of 10. Botas <laughs> gets a 7 out of 10. Places you can find us one more time. I'm kidding. 
Triumph of the Arrows. Yes. Triumph of the Arrows, once again, 655 points scored in total. Lewis Hamilton with a new all-time points record with 408 of those points. World champion, 11 wins, 11 pole positions for the pole trophy, 17 podium finishes, which is a new F1 record as well, and three fastest laps. Valtteri had 247 alongside him. He was fifth overall, two poles, eight podiums, seven fastest laps, the most in a season since 2006, I want to say. Um... Ham Hamilton's resets record for most points in a season equals record of podium finishes in a season. Voted driver of the day for wins in Spain and Germany, as well as going from 18th to second in Britain. Bottas led field in fastest laps of seven, sets a record in a season for most second places without a win. And he's the only of the big six drivers not to get a win, which is crazy. Or driver of the day win. Is, that is ridiculous. Now, let's. I mean, I think this section will be. Re- I think section. <laughs> I think this section is going to be relatively brief, um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, look, I we've spoken enough about how brilliant Lewis Hamilton was this year. This was arguably his greatest season of them all, outside of. The, the one mechanical DNF he had in Austria, he finished every single Grand Prix in the top five. And he was only off the podium three times in general outside of that, outside of Austria. He, he had just an unstoppable reign of terror that he basically gave Sebastian Vettel zero room to breathe. It's probably the reason why Vettel took so many gambles this year because he had to because Lewis was just that fucking good. Um, the team, I mean, what can you say that hasn't already been said? You know, they, they won 11 Grand Prix this year. They probably could have been more. They probably should have been another one or two due to Austria and, and whatnot. They only really coughed up a couple that didn't feel like it was just the form book more than anything else. The interesting one here, I think, is Valtteri. Um... I think the Valtteri situation is going to be interesting to keep an eye on over the next, you know, year. next year or so. I mean, yeah. no matter how you slice it, this was a disappointing year for Valtteri. And again, not of his own making, really. He, I, I remember he was going pound for pound with Lewis at the, the first three or four rounds of the year like it was anyone's business. Then Baku happened. He had the puncher, and you know that that went against him. You know Hamilton stole that win. He he, he dominated at Monza. You know we we had then Austria happened. Another race he could have easily won, but then had a gearbox failure that day. I mean RJ, I think you summed it up best. By the time we got to Sochi, it looked like he'd given up. Because Al- Valtteri, this is James. Um, Valtteri was deployed as the number two driver. He was put in that mm-hmm. Rubens Barrichello type, uh, Felipe Massa type mm-hmm. role at points during the season. Um, and with that, it might have cost him a chance to win in Russia. Here's the thing. 
by the time Botas was leading before that puncture, we were talking about that win potentially rocking him up to the point where maybe Mercedes' number one title challenger is not Lewis Hamilton. Mm. He was phenomenal the first four rounds. Yeah. You, uh, if you watch friend of the show, Jane Baroff, one season review, you will make a case that if it points, if not for things that happened during Valtteri Bottas' early season, he could have had a substantial championship lead. All of it yeah. was set to reference Hamilton songs mm-hmm. as a clever turn of phrase. Um, it's, it's strange because, again, if Bottas' points help Mercedes secure the World Constructors' Championship for a fifth time, but there's also the school of thought that should have had more. Yeah. Could have easily had three wins. I mean, we mentioned it before. It was probably one lap short in Bahrain. He was very unlucky to be leading in China when the safety car fell when he was 10 seconds past the start-finish line and had no chance of responding to the safety car being deployed where Red Bull did. That cost him a win there. The piece of debris that wasn't cleared off the track during the safety car in Baku caused him to DNF. You know... Seven times he finished in second, you know, and again, he was the legitimately the faster man in Russia. He could have won in Austria if it wasn't for the isolated gearbox failure there. In another universe, Valtteri has five wins and we're looking at him as a major contender. Instead, he ended up finishing over 160 points behind his teammate and, you know, 11-0 in favor of race wins on the opposite side of the coin. While Lewis has one of the great F1 seasons of all time, we are questioning Valtteri's ability as a driver because he finishes fifth overall behind a Red Bull. It's uh, it's a shame because uh, post-Baku and then Lewis going on his greatest run of form we might have ever seen, it just, it just, makes, it just makes Valtteri look worse than I think he actually was which is a real shame because by the time he got to Russia, the championship was already over and he was being made to give up the one shot left he had at a win, which just makes it all the more tragic, really. They ended up the year with four fifth-place finishes. So how much of it is it is it down to a demoralizing season and how much of it is down to Valtteri just not being good enough? I don't know. It's a hard formula to work out, but ratings-wise, I mean... The team gets a 9.5. They are, they don't get a 10 from me because they were still very sorry. And again, in another universe, Hamilton is not winning 11 races. Like, if Ferrari cashed in even half their missed opportunities when it came to strategies, reliability, or driver error, I I think we could have had a much closer title. So I'm actually gonna I'm gonna take a point. I'm gonna go nine for the team for Mercedes on that one actually for that reason. Um, mm. For the first time ever in a season review, I'm giving Lewis Hamilton a ten. <laughs> it, I I never give tens. Now for me, people have asked me about this in the past, like Dre, why have you never given a ten? And I say, well, a ten for me would be an all-time great season. A 10 for me is not perfect, but something of a masterpiece. Something that I would say would be era-defining. And I think that is probably a valid way of describing Hamilton's 2018 campaign. For me, it's the best of his five world championships. 
it was the season that I think cemented his status as one of maybe the three best drivers we've ever seen grace this sport. He is the face of this era. This is the Lewis Hamilton era now. Without any shadow of a doubt, we are witnessing a dynasty more than anything else here. And for me, I don't see how Hamilton's season could realistically be any better than what it was. He... He maximised the car on almost every given situation. He barely made a mistake on track all year. He won the races he could win. And you can't ask for anything more as a driver to make to get the best out of your equipment week in, week out. And to win the title by 88 points is, is probably the reason why I'm going 10 for Hamilton. Because that was a near unstoppable season um it, it forced guys like Seb to make mistakes to go over the to go over the limit to try and beat him and it worked to perfection um so for me Hamilton gets the first ever perfect score from me for a driver for a season review um so Valtteri seven I think is about right I think but higher than me <laughs> I think he should have had three wins, maybe four. I think the season, he, I think the scoreboard doesn't tell the full story of Valtteri, but he wasn't good enough in comparison to Lewis. And I think he might be permanently demoralised as a result of this season, as Toto Wolff tried to hide two weeks ago by saying today that Valtteri is an alpha driver, whatever the hell that means in the context of Lewis Hamilton. Um, good luck with that, but... Um, I have Valtteri at a seven. No, I should correct that. Uh, he said that both Hamilton and Botas were alphas. Close enough. Um, my point still stands. Um, <laughs> but uh, for me, I think I think a seven for Valtteri is about right. It was a good season. It wasn't a great season. And again, that's not totally on Val. Fellas, what happened? What, what see you? Ten for the team. So. Ten for Lewis. For all the reasons that you mentioned, it was an awesome year. Seven for Valtteri Botas. Yeah, I think I'm going to adjust my score on Botas. I'm pretty. I'm. I'm going to have pretty much the same score as, as RJ. Ten for the team. Ten for Lewis. Ten for Botas, and I should. Ten I for Botas. I mean, <laughs> there it is. Wow. There it is. <laughs> I track that statement, <laughs> Lewis. I know you're listening. Make sure. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Seven for Botas. <laughs> the fanboy came out. The fanboy came out. That is Ten going on the end of. <laughs> that is going no. on the end of season highlight reel. I don't care what you tell me. Lewis is listening to this right now. That is going in the end of year montage. I don't care what you tell me. <laughs> no, I should also add on that Mercedes have achieved something that only one other team in history have achieved. Oh. Winning five consecutive Constructors' Championships. Uh, Ferrari were able to famously string uh, six consecutive championships mm. between 1999 and 2004. So, they're in rarely treaded territory at the moment. Rarified air. Um, is, I think is the best way of describing that. Now, that's it, kids. Um, just before we go... Um, race of the year, fellas. Ooh, God, we <laughs> we had a, we had some good ones this we year. We had some good ones. Yeah, if that we was... want to just go for the ultimate like event, absolute 
mess of a race. <laughs> That's got to be Baku, it doesn't it? It's got to be Baku. I think in overall terms of quality, I do have to say Britain was good this oh, year. Oh, Britain was very, very yeah, good. Yeah, I'm ass. in. I, I'm in, I'm inclined to agree with with Lewis in the Discord as well as um as well as King. This was a season that I think we had a lot of seven and eight out of ten races. This was, I don't think there was one single race that was that was wet your pants quality, but there was like four or five that were very very solid and that would hold up on any season review for a rewatch. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think Silverstone is the one for me. That four-way fight at the end was what we've been waiting for as F1 fans for maybe five or six years to see the two best teams in the sport level pegging, fighting each other for a race win. Um, and I was on my feet fist-pumping when Sebastian made that race win and overtake on Valtteri Bottas. And I've, I'm probably sure I wasn't the only one, and I'm, I'm probably not even Seb fans are doing that because it was a phenomenal finish. Um, which everybody like everybody loves a good finish to a Grand Prix, right? We all love that shit. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's probably Silverstone. Um, we'll save the big boy awards for for our next show. And, and, the one and who said we didn't love Silverstone on Motorsport 101? <laughs> Depends. Is it raining? <laughs> but. Uh, Race of the Year is that one, and again, we'll tackle some of the big stuff um, on, uh, on on our next show, episode 174, um, on that one. But, I mean, King, some closing thoughts on the 2018 season? Closing thoughts on 2018. I don't think this is going to be one of the seasons that people go back and say that this is one of the great years, that you got to watch every single race, but it definitely had its moments that you want to go back and appreciate years down the road uh i think this hopefully will be hopefully be remembered as sort of a preview to next year especially with drivers like charles claire pierre gasly moving up to you know the big three teams uh we're gonna have a lot of interesting other moves next year considering carlos Sainz jr and lano norris and mclaren kimi raikkonen kind of having two swan song years at Sauber, I I think this is going to be remembered as the beginning of an end. Hmm. I think there were some stinkers. There were some dull races. There were some points where the atmosphere um, kind of got a little bit too heated and, yeah. and obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this season, you had a lot of great talent come to the fore. You had a top-quality field. You had a lot of great midfield battles. There wasn't really any one generation-defining race. There was one very good shit show and one very good race in Britain. Um, <laughs> we didn't get the title fight that we had hoped for in the end, but we got it a lot closer than it had been in years past. I would say fittingly that this was not one of the best seasons of Formula 1, nor was it the worst. As the 69th iteration of the Formula One World Championship, I'd say it was just nice. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this was the year that I think a lot of... I think, I think we had two-thirds of a really good season here. And it's a shame that I think Ferrari's legs fell off after Belgium, really. Um, and I think we could have had a genuinely brilliant season. Instead, we ended up just having a good season um, I think the rise of Verstappen might have covered that in the, in the second half of the year um, but 
I think it was a year that certainly had some landmark moments, some marquee moments, a lot of you know really solid highlights over the course of the year. I think this. I think the season review Blu Ray is going to be phenomenal in that sense. Um, <laughs> where if you can condense everything down to six minute montages, yeah, yeah I think there's, I think it's going to be a fun season to look back on. I don't think it's going to be an all timer. I don't think this was a 2010 or a 2012 by any stretch of the imagination. Not even maybe a 2016 in that sense or a 14 even. But I think this was a, a decent year that I think also sort of exposed a little bit of the territorial nature that I think Formula 1 can have and hopefully we'll be better equipped to deal with that in 2019 do I'm here now son Charles Leclerc is coming do I'm kidding it's going to be a fucking war zone um, <laughs> and on that note that is me calling Endgame on the 2018 Formula 1 season it's been a pleasure covering the season with you guys um, obviously with RJ and King and obviously all of you listening um, wherever you are. Um, we're not quite done just yet. The Motorsport 101 Awards will be around next time out. Um, probably going to be aiming right around Christmas. Who knows, I might even release it on Christmas Day. It depends on when we record it. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, you know, 13 days from Christmas as we record this. 12? Today's oh, the 13th. Well, yeah, where you are. <laughs> well... Well, it's actually, yeah, because it's, it's literally it's four minutes past midnight in the UK. So, yeah, <laughs> technically we're both right. God, um, we've been at this yeah. a while. Thank you so much for everybody who's listened by this way. Holy crap, y'all are great. Yeah, it's, it's been our longest show in a while. It's been two hours 23 as we're recording this as we speak. So thanks, everyone, that stuck around this long. Um, much appreciated. We'll be back probably in about a week and a half's time for the review of the opening round of the Formula E action. Um, in Saudi Arabia. That'll go down well, I'm sure. Um, and the Motorsport 101 Awards. Get your suggestions in on social media. I'll be listening. Don't worry about oh, that. Dear. Oh, God. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> or even, even despite King's late surge for the Golden Cock Award by giving Valtteri a 10 in a season review. Um, that, let, well, let, let it, redacted. Redacted. <laughs> let it be known. We, we have the audio footage. Uh, it, it may be taken out of context. I'm just saying. This is going to be held against me for the rest of my life. Yes, it will. <laughs> but until then, if you can't wait for the Motorsport 101 Awards, we have the Bike Live Awards. We're recording those tomorrow as we speak. Well, technically today in the UK as we speak. Um, and that'll be out most likely early next week with me and Lewis reviewing all the action from the world of, of bike racing this year, from British Superbikes, World Superbikes, Moto... Oh, don't Super even mention World Superbikes. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> we got some shit to discuss about their format changes as well. Um, so, to, yeah, that came out a couple days ago, and, oh, boy, um, that's going to be fun um, to break down. So all of the action from World Superbikes, British Superbikes... Uh, Moto GP, Moto 2, and Moto 3, as well as well, Super Sport 300 as well, and World Super Sports, Lucas Mahias, tire went pop, and we, we had all sorts of crazy shit in 2018, and we will break it all down and hand out some awards 
get the tuxedos out for the Bike Live Awards of 2018, the fourth time we've done that, um, and it should be a fun time with me and Lewis. We're recording that tomorrow for those guys listening on the Discord. It'll be out most likely early next week, I would say, as a rough prediction on that one. More on our social media as, um, as that comes through. Also, just before we go, check out motorsport101.com as well, because I'll be having written reviews of all the teams going up in the next week or so. So check that out if you haven't already. Um... I think, I think the first part will almost definitely be out by the time this podcast goes public. So, please, you can find us one more time. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, and at RJ O'Connell. Um, again, again, our main podcast channel at motorsport underscore 101, our website motorsport101.com, and our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 if you would like to back us financially. $5 gets you access to both our shows, 10 bucks gets you into our Discord server, and you can listen along live. We've been going nearly two and a half hours, and I'm exhausted, so we're getting out of here. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Andre Harrison, they've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell, and that was a 2018 Formula One season review. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Okay, Trey, so explain this to me. So you get you get 12 points for a win, but it's not a win, though. Look, if, if this is their way of saying F you, Jonathan Ray, by basically making sure his wins don't count, then sod it. What else have they got at this point? <laughs> I got nothing for you here, folks. I got nothing. <laughs>